Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode number 96 of the Avocado Games Cast. That is 12 times 8 for all you arithmetic fans out there. We've got a lot to talk about today. We've all been playing a lot of games and we're eager to chat about them. We're less eager to chat about industry layoffs, including at Marathon and Destiny 2 developer Bungie. But dutifully, we're still going to do it. And finally, the last part of this episode will be devoted to a full spoiler chat for Starfield. So if you completed the game, stick around to hear our thoughts. And if you haven't, no worries, just hit pause and come back to this episode when you've finished the game. Don't worry, it'll still be there for you. It's not going anywhere. But before we get to all of that, let's introduce ourselves. My name's Merv, and joining me, he's hunting down all the artifacts in an effort to become Starborn. It's the Kappa. Hey, what's up? And she'll subscribe to any Dutch YouTuber in stilettos making her podcast debut. Give a warm welcome to Quinley Thorne. Hi, thank you. Excited to be here. Excited to have you. It's so nice to have a new voice on the podcast. Yeah. Exciting. I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts, but I've never actually been on one. So this is exciting. <laughs> That's actually a good prep because we started when we started this podcast. I barely ever listened to podcasts. I listened to like maybe two podcast episodes, and I'm like, I know what I'm doing. We can start this. <laughs> I did not know what I was doing. Uh, now I listen to podcasts pretty much all day long, like anytime doing chores or yeah. like getting ready. There's a podcast playing in the background. Right. So, how are you folks? To a ton, and it's just—I don't know. Like, I never—I thought it was going to be harder, honestly, to make. But uh... <laughs> yeah, this is so easy; anyone can do it. <laughs> I thought this was, yeah. That, 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 I mean, it explains why like everybody and their mom has one, right? Yeah. Like, it's, like, it's oh, true. It's just, it's, it's just you're just posting verbally. <laughs> Pretty much, like I think. To make an entertaining podcast, it does take some amount of skill and to figure out how exactly you're going to pace a podcast, sure. But if your podcast is just talking to a mic for two hours, yeah, pretty much anyone can do that. Just get a mic, right? <laughs> yes. So, we've all been playing video games. Uh, I would actually like to start by chatting about a video game that I finished just last night uh, called Dordogne. So... I don't know. Have you folks heard of this one? No. I, I had. I saw the trailer. It is. It is gorgeous. It's very pretty. Uh, it it reminded me like, like if a French studio made a Studio Ghibli game, almost like the art style. It looked really cool, but it also kind of to me, it's pretty. But I'm like, I'm, if I get that, I know I'm only gonna play it the one time. <laughs> so. I'm yeah, that makes sense. Playing the um, which call it? Uh, Thirsty Suitors. I thought that was gonna. Oh, yeah, that's... Uh, oh, no, I have... Uh, we can get into cultural trauma in a second. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't think I can touch that one for a lot of reasons. Um, <laughs> for for many of the same reasons that Venba kind of irritated me uh, towards the end. Uh, but, Dordogne. So, like uh, Quinley alluded to, this is a... Very gorgeous game, watercolor kind of art style, but it even animates super well. Like it looks really cool in motion, and it does have those like Studio Ghibli vibes, um, like almost like a kind of higher stakes Minari Totoro. That's what I describe it as. Okay. Uh, 
Same kind of vibe. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm higher stakes as in. Like, like uh, my neighbor Totoro, it's about like five year olds, right? And I guess there is some danger right towards the end of the movie, but it's really pretty lazy the entire way through. Um, Dotonya kind of sets its stakes up at the beginning, and it does have that lazy summer vibe, but you know that there's more going on under the surface right from the outset. Okay, okay. Uh, So yeah, really interesting. It's set in the eponymous Department of France, Dordogne, along its eponymous river, also called Dordogne, right? Uh, So uh, I actually decided to play this in French, and I very rarely play games. I think it's the first game I've actually played in French. Um, French is technically my third language, although I'm much more fluent in it than I am in Hindi. Um, So yeah, this is interesting to play a game in French. I was mistaken. I thought that the script was originally written in French. Then the credits rolled, and um, apparently it was translated from English into French by this French studio, uh, which is surprising, but the same person who wrote the English script also translated it into French. So I think that the French version pretty accurately reflects uh, authorial intent. So mm. I don't think it was... I made a mistake in, in picking it. Um so yeah, it's nice to play a game set in France in French. Um, I'm Canadian, so certain idioms and certain vocabulary are familiar to me. So I'm playing it with Google Translate open on my phone, um, which, you know, it's not like I have to do this uh, constantly, but, you know, every 20 minutes or so something comes up. I'm like, oh, okay, I don't know exactly this term. But otherwise, pretty smooth sailing. Um, and what's also interesting is that there's not just an English and French version of this game, there's also a version in Occitan. Um, Occitan is an endangered romance language, so it's not, you know, everyone knows Portuguese, Italian, uh, French, Spanish, and probably Romanian and Catalan, right? Uh, but there are a whole bunch of other romance languages, like Monegasque, um, Sicilian, Occitan, etc., that are on the verge of dying, and... So, uh, in keeping with this game's southwestern French setting, uh, they've also uh, produced an Occitan script. Is it like an Esperanto thing? No, no, it's not Esperanto. It's not a constructive language. It's uh, just one of those romance languages that is dying out. Um, So, it's related to French and Italian and Catalan. Actually, its closest cousin is Catalan. Uh, But it's spoken by very few people today. And it's one of those languages that people are still trying to keep alive. Uh, So... It's really yeah. cool. Interesting they've got that uh, script. So yeah, uh, narrative adventure, you're playing as an adult going through the home of her grandmother where she used to spend the summer and she's piecing together memories of the summer she spent with her and how that led to uh, a rift widening between her father and her grandmother. And so it's a lot of picking up objects, manipulating them, walking through the house, recalling memories, then playing through those memories um, and visiting the environs, paddling down the Dordogne River in a kayak, visiting the market square, etc. Very cozy, very lived in kind of feel. Um, I really enjoyed it. Had a good time with it. Um, 
that kayaking part right, makes me kind of think. Do you ever play uh, Fire and Flood? Whatever, through the Fire and the Flood. Uh, the Flame of the Flood. The Flame and the Flood. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of had a little bit of a similar kind of just moseying down a river type vibe. Um, I don't know if you ever played that one. That's kind of what I was thinking of. No, I don't think I've played that one, um, but I'll have to check it out. It's uh, very slow. I don't know. I don't, it's hard to re- hard to recommend. But um, if you're in that kind of mood for a very slow one, um, but uh, it's, it's a river journey kind of through a post-apocalyptic America as you, but like not in a in a post-apocalyptic way. It's very, I don't know. It's hard to explain. I don't want to ruin too much, but like kind of like, like the river section of Kentucky Route Zero. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's a little bit more like going on, I would say, but yeah. I still need to play that game. Kentucky Route Zero? I haven't, I, it's on my list, but I just like, I keep forgetting it exists, and then somebody mentions it, and I'm like, oh yeah, I need to play that. It's, yeah. it's really good, and it, it's one of those games that like, once you pick it up, it makes so much sense, honestly. Oh, okay, alright. I'm gonna have to put that one on. Maybe I'll play that one next. I'll bite my tongue and say, the first four acts are great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, uh, it, it took a little bit to get there, though. I mean, that's if yeah. you played it as it was coming out, it was definitely a different experience. Yeah, uh, I wish I had played it all in one go instead of playing yeah. it as it came out, because uh, I, I, I started it in 2013, uh, and I was like, this is fantastic, can't wait to play more. And, uh, <laughs> like, yeah. you know that meme of the, the skeleton sitting in the lawn chair with the, the sunglasses and, and the bathing suit? That was me. As, as somebody who is reading kakegurui right now oh like, yeah reading it since it started and has seen both seasons of the anime come and go <laughs> yeah I, I totally understand what you mean like we just now i'm like oh yeah that's right yumiko's in this isn't she i wonder what she's up to even though she's the main character <laughs> yeah, so yeah i didn't know it took that turn because i have i never got around to like i've never read the manga but i've never got around to watching kakegurui twin uh, I only uh, watched uh, Kakigurui and XX. Uh, that one's about Mary. Uh, oh, okay. It's, it's good if you want insight into why she is the way she is, but it's, I mean, you can also get that from the main comic, too. So. I assume that everyone was the way they were in that show because they're just all perverts. Like, like I, I don't need more depth than that. Like, I don't want to get too off track, but the most recent chapters of Kakigurui, like the past... I would say seven or eight chapters are very, very illuminating because they finally get into what exactly Yumiko's deal is and what she's even doing at this school. It takes, it has taken over a year (laughs) to get there, but it puts a lot of stuff into context. So if if you want to start picking it back up and start reading it again, now is the time. (laughs) Sounds good. I might actually. Go and pick up the manga. The only manga I'm following right now is uh, Kaguya-sama. So, yeah, I could always use something more to pass the time. Yeah, so that's Dordogne. Fantastic little indie game that I highly recommend if you are into that kind of thing. Uh, Quinley, what have you been playing? So, I've been playing and posting about Alan Wake 2. Yeah. Which oh, is, yeah. is a lot long-awaited sequel the first one came out in 2010 and uh similar to uh, kind of similar uh to i guess maybe kentucky route zero probably maybe i don't know they seem to be in the same vein but took that kind of 
Alan Wake was going to take that kind of episodic approach. Like, they did it for the first time. So, like, whenever a new quote-unquote episode, they'd be like, next next time on Alan Wake. And you're like, oh, shit, next time. And then all of a sudden, and then the, the games came out all at once and kind of defeated the purpose of that. It's like, <laughs> next time on Alan, Alan Wake. It's like, when's it going to come out? Oh, it's right here. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, but, um... Yeah, it's 13 years since the original game released. Um, I, How long I've since been... American Nightmare? Uh, oh, Jesus. American Nightmare. Mm. I could look this up. I got Steam open. I think, like, what? American Nightmare came out, what, 2012? Probably. American Nightmare. Uh, it came out. Yeah, you're exactly right. 22nd of May, 2012. Okay, 2012. So, yeah. So 13 years since the first one, uh, however, I'm not good at math and it's early, so I'm not going to try. Uh, <laughs> since 2012 for American Nightmare, um, I played it with uh, my partner, South, this week. Uh, I played all of, most of the Saga set segments, he played the Alan segments. Um, easily might be my game of the year. Honestly, it, it might be. It is one. It is gorgeous. It is one of. It is one of the most beautiful games I've ever seen. Uh, it is. It is just. It is such a joy to look at. There's like. There's the atmosphere is on point. It has easily some of the best sound design, and dynamic lighting. Like normally when you play a horror game and you get that little notification like at the beginning of the game where they're like uh for per, for good atmosphere make sure to play with headphones it's like fuck you have confidence in your game i don't need don't tell me how to yeah, play it you don't need this to make game, you scared yeah like but alan wake does not tell you that but you need to play this game with headphones just to fully appreciate the sound design i did not because we mean we just played it on the TV, but even then, like we had to mess with the um, we had to mess with the levels of the of the sound a little bit, like because everything is set to 100 and it doesn't really quite work if you have oh, it all set yeah. to 100. So like you have to turn like the music down. You're gonna have to turn the dialogue, frankly, all the way up just because it's if you're playing it on a TV, they're very hard to hear. And you're going to have to turn some of the sound effects down. Like, I would say the sound effect to half and then the background music to, like, maybe half the sound. But then we also had to, like, turn the TV up. But, like, once we – so you're, it's it's a little finicky, so you're going to have to mess with it a little bit. But once you do, like, it, it sounded fantastic. Like, uh, and also, like, obviously because, you know, it's Alan Wake and one of the main things about Alan Wake is, you know, the dark – and you know the dark and the light and you know the eternal struggle they are locked in and whatnot it has some of the best dynamic lighting i've ever i've ever seen uh, i Wait, think the, i mentioned the dark oh. and the light is are you telling me that alan wake is kingdom hearts oh no no you're right oh my, oh my god oh my god you guys <laughs> no but um i i can i can i I can see Alan Wake's Keyblade in my mind's eye, and I hate that. Anyway. Oh no! <laughs> like it's 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 the wood like call you know it's the lamp it's the angel lamp that's like the handle. <laughs> oh my god! Anyway, <laughs> but um, yeah, the dynamic lighting is fantastic, and it's done it is done in such a way that like like I mentioned this before in the when I was posting on the avocado about it, but like it it's 
one of those games where even when most of the lights are on, it's still very dark, but not so dark that it's pitch black unless, you know, that's one of the segments of the game where, you know, the power goes out frequently in this game. Uh, you are going to be looking for fuses or a game staple, playing the hits, find a fuse. <laughs> um, but it'll be like, you'll be like the placement of all of the furniture and the clutter and the level design that looks fine in the light. And then when it's dark and you have a flashlight and you'll run past it, like one of them is like in one of the houses, there's like a banister along the stairs that's like decorative. And if you run past it, like when you're going down the stairs, the shadows move in such a way they're like, holy shit, is that a person? Oh, it's the, it's the banister thing. And that's like, awesome. that's just one example. That's just one example, but that happens constantly. Like, over and over and over there is so much like there is nothing that is done like frivolously every single design choice in this game has it serves a distinct purpose which is really fucking cool um the characterization and the acting is fantastic um matthew peretta is back as alan but only as his voice uh the in the live action segments he is played by a Finnish actor named I forgot. Hold on, it's Iki Vilas or something. Hold on, now I gotta look it up because I forgot. I should have like prepared. They've been kind of doing these motion capture voice actor comb combos lately, and it does make sense yeah. that you know if you get a, a, an iconic voice to stick with that, but also mocap somebody yeah. else. But man, it pulls off in uh, in, in Baldur's Gate, for example. Oh yeah, Ika Ika Willy, Ika Willy. That's his name. Oh, okay. So he's the he's the the live action. He's the one who, that Alan Wake is modeled after, and um, it's uh, it's really really cool the way they do it. I watched like one of the behind the scenes segments, and there's an interview with both Peretta and Ika Willy, and they're talking about how like during that process like. Peretta would be doing, you know, the voice lines for something, and then Ikavili might do something, like, while he's acting it out, and, because he has to, you know, he has to lip-sync the lines, essentially, and he may, like, give Peretta a suggestion, like, hey, why don't you deliver the line like this, and how they just kind of, that process feed, fed back and in, you know, back and forth between them, and you can really see, like, how well that works, because, I'll be honest, I forgot what Matthew Peretta looked like, so <laughs> when the game came out and they showed Alan, I'm like, I don't remember Matthew Peretta being that tall, but eh, okay. But it's like, oh, they're literally played by two different people. So that's fantastic. Um, it's really neat. Arguably, yeah, it's really, really cool. Um, arguably, my favorite thing about the game is also kind of the one complaint I have about it, and that's that you have to have played Alan Wake, you have to have played American Nightmare, and you have to have played Control for the plot to make any sense. Ooh, okay. Like, yeah, it's it's a sequel. It says Alan Wake 2, so like, in the remaster... Yeah, American Nightmare, that was kind of a little, little uh, rough, yeah. I think. Yeah, but, but it, 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 you have to play it to understand what's going with Scratches, because... Scratch doesn't really come up in Alan Wake, the original, until, like, the very end. Um, so, like, so I, I'm normally not a fan of that, but also um, this game does also seem to be something of a thank you 
from Remedy to its fans for sticking with it all these years. Because if you've played all of Remedy's games, there is something in this game from you. And that includes Max Payne. <laughs> Some behind-the-scenes stuff. They wanted to bring Max Payne back for this game. They wanted Max Payne to be in it, but Rockstar would not let them because Rockstar owns the rights to him. But I also like to think that Rockstar was just like, you know what, you've put him through enough. <laughs> just, <Yeah>. no. <laughs> You know, Max Payne is he is now in Mexico enjoying his hundred millions of dollars in cash. Like let him let him let him rest. But um they do have like a stand in character uh for Max Payne and you can tell it's him because uh him and Max Payne have the same tie. <laughs> and you're like Oh, ah. that's Oh, okay. I thought the stand in would be like Saga's partner who is also modeled by Sam Lake. Uh oh. so yes, that's correct. That that Mm-hmm. His Alex Casey is in in universe Alex Casey, and this was the case in the first game too. Uh, Alex Casey is a character that starts out as one of the characters that Alan Wake is like known for writing, and he's very clearly a parody of Max Payne. Oh, <laughs> and, okay. Yeah, and so Saga's partner Alex Casey is a real person. But and I don't want to get too much spoilers, but like it's he's like Max Payne if Max Payne were slightly more well adjusted <laughs> the next night. But and he does still drink, but it's not a problem. He's not popping Vicodin pills every five seconds or anything. Like it's like if Max Payne had friends, basically. It's <laughs> <laughs> very cool. That's awesome. Very That's cool. Great. I love that. Um speaking of Sam Lake being in the game um i'm sure like are, are y'all playing spider-man the spider-man no. game no sorry i don't own a ps5 <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not playing it either because i don't give a shit about spider-man but um you know no offense to anybody who does i just i don't care but um there was this there were a bunch of dipshits on reddit complaining about how mary jane in the new spider-man looks quote-unquote too normal uh because she was modeled supposedly she was modeled after one of the writers which to my knowledge that is objectively false like she's not but she just looks like a normal human person and it's like thank uh, god a normal person uh, i, but, I yeah. saw this like i saw a youtube thumbnail about this and i was like i know i don't want to watch this yeah. <laughs> too bad it's getting recommended is, for you like why are you recommending this to me do you even know who i am uh, sorry, go ahead. So, no, the, so the funny thing about this and why it relates to Alan Wake is they were complaining about this and someone else points out, it's like, okay, well, Sam Lake does the same thing in Alan Wake and he he's in the game. He's just a normal dude. And their response to that was, yeah, but Sam Lake is actually hot, though. <laughs> Which I'm huh. like. While objectively correct on the merits, you still you're still making this argument in bad faith. <laughs> Yeah. Like, no, Sam Lake is objectively hot. We all know this. But still, I think they're not... just revealing something about themselves. I know. It's, it's just it, like, it just you know, said, like, more oh. power to them. I hope they just, I hope they can, uh, like, actualize their own internal truth at some point. I, 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 I hope so too. But yeah, like, this, it is a wonderful game. It is actually, it is scary. It is uh, deep, dark fears kind of scary it's very disturbing it's a very uh, I, 
for lack of a better way to put it, it's a very adult kind of scary. Um, it does have jump scares, which I don't like generally. I think they're cheap, but they are limited to specific segments of the game. So after the first chapter, you'll start to recognize, like, okay, we're in jump scare territory, so they're going to start popping up eventually. But yeah, but yeah, Alan Wake 2, fantastic. I love it. Yeah, yeah a lot of people are, are kind of in the same mode. It's it's interesting to see how this kind of came, I don't know if it came out of nowhere, but um, a lot of people have been waiting forever for this. And then when it finally hits and it's as good as it's been, um, it's, it's interesting to see a lot of the excitement around it. Yeah, yeah, it's, oh man, I would say, like, play Control, because Control does have uh, an Alan Wake-centered DLC. It's called Altered World Event, but everybody everybody called it the Alan Wake expansion, because that's basically what it was, and that kind of gives a little bit of info, but yeah, that's the one unfortunate thing, is you, you kind of have to play... Alan Wake and American Nightmare and Control to really understand what's going on. Or you can, you know, just watch a long play. That's always an option, too. You'll get the same thing out of it. I played Control, but I never played the DLC. I should probably go back and do that at some point uh, just to get a sense of what's going on. Foundation is good. AWE is good. Yeah. Go back and do that. For sure. Uh, Kappa, what are you playing? Oh, man. I got two. Um, This one, I... You know, sometimes there's, okay, this is going to be in the game of the year conversation for everybody. And sometimes it's like, this is just going to be in the game of the year conversation for me, right? Um, and I've been playing uh, Return to Moria, um, the new Lord of the Rings Minecraft game. It, it's kind of, it kind of splits the difference. Maybe like exploration RPG. Yeah. Um, and I'm loving it, and it's it's at, it's at that price point I would call you know firmly in that double A. You know, I think it's thirty nine ninety nine new, which used to be twenty nine ninety nine. So you're kind of at least at that price point in my head. You know what you're getting there, right? Um, but I am loving it. It's it's got a lot of shine to it. Very very well polished. Um, pretty cool crafting system. Dwarves look cool. They sound cool when you're uh, like mining or you sing. I think that's really cool. <laughs> um, and you just kind of slowly develop in the world, and you're basically um, you're isolated from the rest of the expedition that's there to take back Moria um, as you kind of mine your way um, solo uh, or with eight player co-op. Oh, wow. um, yeah, that that had me perked up because that's almost a small Minecraft server, you know. And I do really love. Um, you know, those types of co-op games. So I got this from my older son. He's He's been playing with me here and there. Um, but, you know, I'm telling him about the lore of the dwarfs. Um, very lore-heavy um, in, in parts. They actually got Jonathan Reese Myers to do the voice. And it starts wow. with something Reece that... Davies? Jonathan Reese Davies, yeah. Yeah, Reece John Reese Davies. Yeah, Reece, Jonathan Reese Myers is the young, hot one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things I like is how it starts. It basically is Gimli saying, yeah, we're tired of everybody else telling our stories. We're going to tell a dwarf story now, um, you know, from the dwarf perspective, instead of hobbits telling about what dwarves did. And I was like, oh, that's kind of a little dig, but I liked it, you know? Um, a little dig? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, nice. But overall, um, very, very comprehensive 
uh, exploration RPG. That's kind of how I describe it. It feels like I used to play this game a lot, and tying it to Minecraft probably isn't the best thing to do, honestly. Um, but you know those kind of games where you would just like, okay, well, I've got to build this to build this to build this. Maybe Metroidvania-ish, not necessarily full on, but um, you know, you're you're kind of in that vein where um, another vein, um, <laughs> you know. Um, you're kind of there where you, you feel like you're making the progress um, through what you've been mining and what you've been finding. And I, I really like that. I thought that was a, that's a cool way to do it. So it's um, like authored content, not procedurally generated. Right. Well, I, it, oh. it might be a little bit procedural. I, it's hard for me to tell because they do have world seeds. But oh, okay, I, okay. I've been playing my own world. I've played three or four dwarfs. And at least I would say the vast majority of it is is layered right so that you have to do certain things to get to certain things the procedural oh. content might come you know through hey this room might have this statue or it might have this this ore, or it might not but generally speaking it's all there um so, i'm sorry to interrupt so yeah, no, is, is i'm look because i i hadn't heard of this i'm i'm not really super into lord of the rings but something that's catching my eye it looks like there seems to be a divide between what reviewers think of the game and what fans think of the game. Like, is that something that uh, sounds uh, a little bit, it, it's tough like, with Lord of the Rings. Cause I think a lot of people get hung up on Peter Jackson's version of Lord of the Rings and uh -huh. don't give it a lot of breathing room to stuff like Lord of the Rings online, which I'm personally in love with. Um, or like kind of any of those games where you're not basically playing as uh, Orlando Bloom, you know, and like all the rest of them, it's, it, it doesn't feel bad to me um, to, you know, to deal with that. But um, I, I, what I look for more for Lord of the Rings is, is it, is it, does it care about the lore? Is it trying to get it right? You know? Um, and I, I think there's a nice middle ground and I really enjoyed the story it was telling, um, you know, which is the loss of um, the loss of Moria through Durin's, um, hubris basically um which is good you know i mean that, that's it's a very basic story but then you've got the whole background of like because of this the dwarves have been um you know paying the price ever since and and have no homes more or less um but yeah it's it, i don't know i'm not sure which side of it the fans are on and which side the um critics are on i feel like for the critics they're probably pretty negative on this game because it's pretty simplistic you know um i'm seeing like a lot of complaints about it being too linear given that the genre is like survival crafting which yeah. on the one hand okay but on the other hand it's a mine right yeah <laughs> have you been a mine <laughs> yeah it's, yeah exactly like it would feel it would feel weirder to me if instead of like getting like a natural progression as you go further down and closer to where Duran's bane came from it would feel weirder to me if, like, oh, I, I mine Mithra on my first hit, you know, like how random Minecraft can be. I, I yeah. know that there's a sandbox mode and, and stuff like that. I just haven't messed with it. Um, but no, I don't necessarily think that. I don't think of this as a straight up, um, you know, survival uh, type game where you're kind of like messing with the, you know, the environment and trying to build your way out. It's more of an exploration game to me where the making the steel hammer allows you get to get to the next level so that you can explore that level. But the impetus is exploration. It's not 
crafting or, or anything like that. Um, the impetus is, hey, let's, um, you know, let, let's see what else is in this, um, you know, this mine, basically. But no, I think that the, the people who really are going to enjoy it are going to not be in it so much for the, um, you know, for like a hardcore, like, mat material gathering and, and making and more to get a good story and then some light exploration um, type type deal. But, you know, this game kind of existed for a long time, this style of game. I don't know what I would call it. It's 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 akin to Metroidvania, but I'm thinking about stuff like, um, how what was that Joe Mad game? I want to say Death Stalkers. It's not Death Stalkers. It's what we play as like the four horse spin. Uh, oh. Darksiders. Darksiders. That's it. Yeah. You know, kind of oh, where it's man. like, okay, you unlock this gun that lets you go to this area, then you kill a couple yeah. things in there. and It's kind of more akin to that than I would just say, you know, Minecraft. That Okay, so, like, Darksiders, because I, I played the first one, I didn't play the, re the other two, but the first one very much reminded me of the first three, maybe the fourth one, I didn't play the fourth one, but the first three God of War games were very yeah. much like that so it's right. it's more in kind of old school early aughts open adventure game ish or not quite yes. open feels yeah. open but feels yeah. open but it, you're you're you definitely start if you really start to dig and you start to see the you know the the trail under you under your legs but um yeah. no i i think that's a really that's probably why i felt so comfortable to me because i'm very familiar with that style of game basically um because it's what i grew up playing you know um the the Legacy of Kane games. I think that'd be another good example. You know, um, that that style of game. And that, that's what this felt like more to me than anything. So you're in there mining, but you're not mining every rock you come across trying to find, you know, the perfect sword or whatever. It, it's much more about getting from place to place. Um, the other game I played is War Tales. Yeah, man, I'm all over the place on that game. I, I, maybe I'll, I'll talk about it next one. But... Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I like it or not. <laughs> so, I go back and forth every time I load it. You know, sometimes you load a game and you just look at it. You're like, ugh. <laughs> I didn't buy this. <laughs> yeah, and then well, it's Game Pass, so I, I don't feel too bad. But yeah, there definitely like there's some times where I, where I get to like load it up and I'm like, oh, this game. What did I do? What am I doing here? Um, but yeah, it's it's it's. I don't hate it. I've got up and down. I want to kind of maybe give it one or two more areas before I figure out what I really think on it, but um, so I'm not sure if anybody else who, has played that one. It's the same devs who did June Spice Wars, right? Is it? Yeah, it's That wouldn't games. surprise me. It's yeah. games. That, that, that doesn't surprise me. They also did Northgard and something called Darkspur. Oh, that's interesting, because I did like Northgard. Um, I did enjoy that game. Oh, they um, did Evil Land. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of a quirky quirky developer war tells it leans more into the series but there's definitely some some quirk going on there um I, i'm liking it more than i thought i would um but i really really there there's some overworld map annoyances that i'm really kind of beating my head against um uh i think if you've so, experienced it you'd understand it but it's kind of one of this those is a top-down open world rpg correct kind um, of yes um so you you play as this you, you you play as this like band of 
you know, friends going around trying to solve problems, uh, mostly by killing things with swords. <laughs> so, um, that kind of game. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're not going to, like, find out, you know, like, a peace process or anything, so. Um, <clears throat> but you, you go through these slices, and then um, you have to, like, make adjustments based on the area. Um, there's a lot of, like, trade items. There's a ton of little weird crafting things. You have to feed your army. You have to repair your weapons. You have to recruit things. Um, what I'm digging, though, is the actual combat, which feels a lot to me like Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, it's a turn-based, you know, everybody's got a job. Everybody's got a skill. Um, that's the part I'm really digging. It's everything else in the game that I'm kind of bouncing off. Um, so I feel like I can't really be fair until I give it a little bit more time. Um, but yeah, so far kind of, kind of mixed on it. Interesting. Um, so there's one other game that I've been playing that I'm just going to briefly discuss, uh, which is the new Super Mario game, Super Mario, Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Uh, I'm a little over halfway through it, I think at this point, uh, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. So... I think we've all played a Mario game before. We all kind of know what the deal is. Uh, it's yeah, this is a Mario game. It's there's not much more to it than that. Uh, but I will say, I don't think this game actually puts its best foot forward. Yeah, I've, I've that's, heard that's that. Surprising, because I've I've heard the opposite. I've I've heard nothing but good things. So I'm I'm curious to see what exactly what makes you think that. So yeah. My- my um, input is coming from my kids who are <laughs> kind of more frustrated with it than I thought they would be. But, um, yeah, I don't know. What, what are you thinking, Murph? So what I'm thinking is, like, I will say, when I, when I say it doesn't put its best foot forward, I mean that it, it gets a lot better. Uh, but the first couple of worlds are, it just feels like Nintendo forgot how to be Nintendo for a little mm. bit. Uh, it's just, it starts off way too gimmicky. It has all these like cool level design ideas but just doesn't build on them it just throws out an idea and then it's gone so nothing ever builds on top of anything else and it doesn't really teach players how to deal with these mechanics it just throws them kind of at at you at kind of intermediate difficulty and doesn't develop them harder or doesn't teach you how to use them uh so it doesn't ramp anything up and those are the first two worlds where you think you should be introducing things and slowly ramping them up. Mm-hmm. Which is a very and, classic Nintendo, uh, yeah. uh, you know, method to use. Yeah, that is like pretty much their design philosophy across most of their games. And they don't really go back to that design philosophy until maybe the third world. And then after that, it's like, okay, this is a classic Nintendo game just gussied up and made to look really pretty for... Uh, the year 2023 where it's they develop course elements across kind of introductory courses in the world and then they mix and match them they make them more complicated as you go through the world so it kind of teaches you how to interact with these things and it teaches you about all the cool things you can do with these mechanics and course elements which i wish they would put in the first two worlds Mm. so i'm enjoying it a lot more than when i started when i started i was just like I don't think this is very good. But now as I'm going through it, uh, I'm in the fifth or sixth world now. It's a lot more like what I was expecting, what the critics were saying about the game. Uh, So 
That's yeah. A choice to do it that way. Like, is there any like indication as to why they, why the first two worlds? Like, does it does it feel like the first two worlds are almost like like a different game like they're their own kind of standalone thing and then like by the time you get to the third world then it feels cohesive like that's that seems like a strange way to start a game so it feels artistically and mechanically very much of a piece with the rest of the game uh just in its approach to level design and progression and pacing it feels very on nintendo mm. um it felt almost like some of the levels in the early going, they were so gimmicky. It felt like I was playing like the greatest hits from Super Mario Maker. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's not a good feel. <laughs> yeah. you, don't, you don't want it to ever feel that, you know. Yeah. I mean, there are some great user-created levels in Super Mario Maker. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's just like, and I, was, I had a lot of fun playing the best user-created levels from that game. But when I sit down to play a Nintendo platform made by Nintendo. I want the levels yeah, to feel... Yeah, you want the polish. Yeah. yeah, like Nintendo. Exactly. I want that polish. I want that that's particular approach to level design. Um, so I think my guess as to why the, the initial going is the way it is, I'm guessing uh, when they play tested it, the feedback they probably got was that it was too easy and too tutorializing in the early going. Mm. So they probably backed off that. And... I think they really, really wanted to show off the Wonder Flower gimmicks. So to explain how this game is set up, every level, every major level, I should say, has a level gimmick that's usually a hidden secret called a Wonder Flower. And when Mario grabs a Wonder Flower, or Peach or Daisy or Luigi or Two Toads or Toadette uh, grabs this Wonder Flower, it transforms how the level works and completely changes the mechanics of the game. So... For instance, you might grab uh, a Wonder Flower and then you'll see a targeting reticle on screen and Bowser's trying to kill you with a giant laser cannon. Or um, gravity might get reversed. Or there might be a stampede of enemies across the screen that you have to ride. Um, and I've given away three of them. But there are so many of these that I don't feel like I've really given away the game. These can feel... These can range feeling really, really cool to just kind of silly and gimmicky. Uh, I'd liken it a bit to, it's like, you guys know the sitcom community. It's like community as a video game. Some <laughs> gimmicks work and some of them just uh -huh. don't. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's a way to describe it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So overall, though, now that I've gotten into the rhythm of things and now that the game seems to have kind of recaptured that Nintendo approach to design, uh, I'm enjoying it a lot more. Uh, you just kind of have to slog through the first world and part of the second to get there, unfortunately. Um, and I will say the other criticism I'll make is uh, Nintendo just needs to let go of some of the archaic elements of these platformers. Like that whole control scheme where you control running and, and jumping with a single thumb and you move your thumb between the Y and the B button. Kind of like uh, you, you press it with both of the you press both buttons with the same thumb at the same time. Oh, uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It just, we have so many buttons on controllers now. It just yeah. doesn't need yeah. to be like that. And I understand it's a holdover from the old games. It's just, it's archaic. We don't need it like this. Yeah. I guess that's one thing. Like, I mean, y'all have probably heard me complain about the, like, the 
Switch controls in general and how you cannot remap controls without going into the settings. Um, that so is it is it kind of similar to that? Because like that's what it feels like, and it's only with Nintendo like first party Nintendo titles on the Switch. Like they're the only ones that don't allow you to do that. Most other games like on the Switch because they're cross platform, they allow you to remap the controls. Like. Do you think it's kind of, do you think that like not letting people remap the controls and kind of forcing them to use this archaic control scheme, like do you think that's just a N Nintendo design philosophy thing or is that this, them being lazy and not wanting to change it? So the, the funny thing about Wonder is that it actually does have some control remapping options. There are different control schemes available for things like you can control ground, if you want ground pound on just the thumbstick or if you want to press a button to ground pound or if you want both, you can activate that. Um, huh. And they have a whole bunch of other control options. Like there's some where they're like, do you want jump on? Uh, I think it's, you can switch between YB and AX. So they have some control options. It's just not full remapping. And I think it's because they're really, really beholden to that single thumb scheme for that, jump, grab, run. You know, that reminds me back to, to Wii, you know, and the the, the waggle contra controversy, right? Yeah. Like, you know, hey, this is annoying, but you, you, we've got to use it. <laughs> You've got to use it because it's all we've got right now. Um, the motion controls, at least in Wonder, are optional. You can turn them on or off, so I think okay. I'd turn them off. I, um, part of me feels like that Nintendo isn't going to be able to continue to do this for very for much longer just because of how we're seeing this big push for accessibility in video games especially in regards to control schemes i think that if nintendo wants to stay not just ahead of the pack but just like you know in line with the rest of the industry like that's gonna have to change at some point yeah right yeah like, it's accessibility gonna is something that everybody's discussing right now and it's just like if you're not gonna have it you know, yeah. you, 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 it's, you can't explain why, hey, we just don't have accessibility in our game. Well, no. Yeah, especially like when the big AAA titles are doing it. Like that was something yep. that Alan Wake has. Like they have specific color scheme settings for different kinds of color blindness and right. stuff, which is really cool. Like so many games have that stuff now. Like, and I know, unfortunately, I know part of why Nintendo doesn't do that. And it's the same reason that... Unfortunately, a lot of Japanese companies don't do it, and it's because they just Japan does not have a good track track record with disabled the disabled community. They just don't. I think and some of it too is is you know we don't want to you know they consider it almost more of an art um, you know where well, I can't compromise it by doing this you know um, there, there's always that feeling of like well you're not really compromising you're just letting more people play it. You know? You're just letting more people see your art. You want more right. people to see the art, yes? And they're like, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it just feels like the thing about Wonder and why I think it's it's um, that it's almost dogmatic at this point is that they've clearly made concessions for accessibility in so many other ways in this game that I think this is just one piece of dogma that they're unwilling to let go of for reasons that are completely beyond me other than, I don't know, maybe they like giving people carpal tunnel. What do I know? Uh, but yeah, otherwise, enjoying uh, 
accessibility concerns uh, notwithstanding, I'm enjoying Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Um, not really a game of the year contender for me, but honestly, sometimes just playing a good game is good enough. So yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, quickly, is there anything else you've been playing, or shall we move on to discussing layoffs? I I started playing because uh, I completely forgot it came out at Leorisa Three yesterday. Uh, listen, Ali. Oh yeah. There's, there's. I completely a, forgot it came out. Yeah, it's it's an alleyer game. You you run around, you grab stuff, craft. Uh, something I do find interesting about it is that they made some minor tweaks to the to the controls. Like one of the things about it is her sprint is incredibly fast. Like, weirdly fast, almost. And also, her sprint, like, if you're sprinting and you grab stuff, she doesn't do... Like, normally there's an animation where she'll stop and pick something up, but now it's more Breath of the Wild, where she'll just pick it up as she's running. Like, she'll her animation is like, she'll sprint, and then she'll, like, reach out her arm and grab at the air, and it'll pick it up. So, that's pretty cool, I guess. I mean, I... I just started it, so I don't really have a whole lot to say about it. But I do, I do like it. It's pretty, so you know, it's nice. So is it a lot different in other regards? I mean, you're not that far uh, in it, but is it a lot different in other regards than the previous two uh, Atelier Riza games? Or honestly, no. It's like so. I think it's. I think part of what's worth noting about the Atelier series if you're kind of unfamiliar with it is that they do they do everything in trilogies and yeah. so when they start a trilogy they kind of the first game in that trilogy is kind of what determines what the mechanics are going to be what the gimmicks are going to be so they don't really change all that much from game to game like the core gameplay loop the core game mechanics most of that stays the same they don't really do anything with it the only thing that really changes is like the location maybe the characters it expands on the story maybe it's a little more polished you know depending on how much money the last game made um rise up uh, the other thing about these games is that like gust has Gus has gone on record basically saying that the Atelier game is what keeps their lights on, and Ryza being as successful as it is, I can understand not wanting to change too much. Just so that, that makes sense, because yeah. they do like, they also did Blue Reflection, right? Oh, they did Blue Reflection, my beloved. Oh, I love Blue Reflection so much. <laughs> that, it doesn't that, sound like that made them a lot of money compared to the no, and it's weird because the way that they rolled it out, they rolled it out as this, at least not with the first game, but with the second one, they rolled it out as this big media mix thing. It had an anime, it had a mobile game, it has, you know, and then it had the, you know, the, the, the actual PlayStation game. So it, it was almost like they expected it to make a lot of money, and then the anime came out. And I, I, I personally like it, but, ooh, 
off model day one. <laughs> like, it's just like, look, I don't know how you're supposed to look, but I know it's not like that. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it, it just looked surprisingly cheap. And also just, it seemed like nobody watched it. And it was like, I don't know what it was. Gust was, or Koei Tecmo, maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the decision was out of their hands, but like, I don't, for a game that people had barely heard of, even in Japan, I'm not exactly sure what they were expecting. Uh, this kind of also happened with Scarlet Nexus, where the anime just didn't hit big at all, and they were expecting a huge multimedia push. Uh, at least there, they were able to synchronize the anime and the game. Then there's Sinduality, which was supposed to come out this year. Mm. The anime was ready, the game was not. So the game got pushed to next year. And so that multimedia push isn't going to work out. It kind of sucks when these things backfire, unfortunately, because you want good things, but... Yeah, yeah. And, but... And what's... And, and again, I'll, I'll try to keep this as short as I can, because the thing is, the mobile game came out this year, and it is... It's a gotcha pull game. And, yeah. like, okay, whatever. Like... Gus needs to make money. They need to keep their lights on. If a gotcha pull game helps them do that, okay. But the big controversy, because the mobile game, by all accounts, is doing incredibly well, but the controversy among fans of the original games is that the main character is a boy. It's an average high school boy, and... Up oh, to this point, oh no. have been no men in the game. None. Like, this game, like, one of the things that people love about this game is that it is, is, is how female-focused it is. And, like, in every sense of word, like, it is a game about mothers and daughters, it's a game about sisters, it's a game about friends. It, it's a, it is a game and a story about the specific ways that, you know... I guess I guess I'll say female presenting people since we're not there's not too much gender stuff but it it is a, it is a game about the specific ways that people you know female you know female friendships you know the with the way they love and support each other but also the way is especially in the anime the very specific ways in which women hurt each other and dislike each other and I feel like that is something that does not get as much focus and that is something that people absolutely love about the game. They don't have to worry, like, it it passes the bedshell test in many ways. They don't have to worry about them, like, worrying over boys or a boy coming in and, you know, blowing up the friendship or, you know, what have you. And then the mobile game, game comes out and they're like, here's the reveal of the main character and it's some kid in a tie and you're like, ah, oh, shit, here we go. Mm, yeah. <laughs> does, does it but have, like, the standard, like, harem protagonist face and haircut? You look him up. <laughs> Just do blue reflection. It's blue reflection sun. Look up blue reflection sun protagonist. You will see exactly what I mean. Uh, the the autocomplete is blue reflection sun male protagonist. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Okay, it's uh, it's it's a less bad case of protagonist face than I thought. Um, it could be so much worse. Uh, no if you ever, worse. if you ever want like the worst, um, Kale, a case of male harem protagonist face, uh, look up the protagonist of um, 
had to meet a new guy, no gal, or like my first girlfriend is a gal. Look up that guy. Oh, that. F- <sighs> oh, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> That's exactly the reaction I thought I was gonna get. <laughs> But yeah, anyway, uh, that's why they're, like, so, yeah, like, when they do, when Atelier does their trilogies, like, once they have the game mechanics and the gameplay loops set, the only thing that really changes is story, the location. They may add some characters to it, like, to freshen it up. Like, usually, generally, each entry in the trilogy will have more and more characters, and, um, you know, the graphics will improve, generally speaking so it'll be prettier you know everybody gets new updates but as far as the core game play loop it's it's not that different so like if you played the first atlee or Ryza, you'll play you'll be able to play this one it's fine like it's the same like if you like that one you'll like this one and that is that's something that has worked for gust in terms of this series i do want to play the the remake they did of the very first atlee game because it was never released in the west and that recently came out as well so Maybe I'll I'll play that at some point, and maybe I'll have more to say about it because it's the very first one, the one that started it on, started it all. Maybe it's the one that let them buy lights <laughs> to keep on in the first place. <laughs> so, but yeah, fantastic. All right, uh, let us now move on to discussing what is going on in the games industry, specifically recent layoffs at. Bungie and some other studios, but let's start by, by framing this in terms of what's been happening at Bungie lately. Uh, so I think this, as of this recording, I think it was this past week, Bungie laid off roughly 8% of its workforce um, and delayed the final expansion for the current story arc of Destiny 2 called The Final Shape uh, by several months uh, into later into 2024. Um Apparently, this was brought about by Bungie missing their internal revenue targets by 45%, which sounds like a huge misprediction. I don't know. I am, I am curious to, as to how realistic those, rev- those revenue targets were to begin with, right? Because that's, that's a huge margin. Yeah, that's gigantic. That's like people, yeah, people do get fired when you miss it by that much. Yeah. My understanding is that they were not out to lunch with these predictions they were rosy but not ridiculous oh, okay. now, you know mm. i can only really kind of fill in the gaps as a player you know um and i don't know the behind the scenes nobody i don't think really does but um i do think there's a little bit of sony buying them i think almost by overvaluing them kind of set them up a little bit to fail right because now they, sorry, they they did say that the Sony purchase didn't really have anything right. to do with yeah. it. Because a lot yeah. of the stuff that was going on that led up to this was in place before the Sony purchase, I think. Right. I, I think the, the, the thing that Sony had to do with it is that they valued the company at $4.6 billion, which is a lot. Uh, and oh, oh, I oof. think there's a potential all of a sudden that you have to start delivering those types of numbers that were a little more optimistic than maybe – other places should have been right and then that's maybe why you're starting to see 45 percent valuation over because you're trying to all of a sudden show to sony hey yeah we were worth 4.6 billion dollars right um which i don't know if that's you know nobody knows but that's kind of what a lot of the the back and forth has been really it's been more about the executives honestly saying like we screwed this up 
Um, and less that the game hasn't been. Sorry, go ahead, Quinley. But they forewent their bonuses. Oh, well. To fix it. Anyway, sorry. Um, so I, I think the thing that I think most people are kind of seeing and feeling about Destiny is for a while now, um, there was this leaked presentation. I don't know how much of it is true, but it was basically, hey, you know, we don't want to try too hard. We want to deliver kind of a minimal value product, right? Um, to kind of huh. keep people on on tap, basically, to keep them hungry, to keep them wanting the, the drip of, of what we're giving them. Um, and this was kind of came to a head when the community saying, hey, there's no PVP maps. There's no new this. There's no new that. And they kind of came out and said, oh, this is hard. <laughs> like the game dev is hard. And I mean, people were like, yeah. yes, that that's fair. Um, <laughs> you know, um, but I don't know. Um, it's kind of weird. Um, I think part like, of the problem. Sorry, go ahead. I, I think what the player base is saying is if we're supposed to expect the minimum value product, we're not going to buy and pre-order like we have been where mm -hmm. destiny is consuming our life because I don't know what season to season I'm going to get. Is it the minimum value season or am I getting the full witch queen? Everything is amazing. $60 expansion. Mm. Um, and, and that's the hard thing. So I think you've kind of angered the player base a little bit and now it's up. You know, there was an interesting quote that it's not that the devs have screwed it up with, you know, the player base, it's that the, the executives, they've made us think that there's hey, this game is, you know, maybe not going to be around as long as you might have thought. And mm. because of that, um, you know, we're going to give you what we can and we're going to we're going to milk it. And the milking mm. feels worse than the than anything else. Um, One thing I, I will say about Destiny 2 in particular is that it doesn't really have an onboarding process right. for new players anymore. So they're effectively stuck selling to the clientele they already have. Yes. And if you piss off that clientele, you're just losing players with no means of replacing them. And so I can see why if you piss off players a lot, like what happened with Lightfall, then yeah, 45% revenue drop kind of makes sense. And I think you're seeing this now with WoW especially. And WoW is basically re rebooting itself because of that, right? Um, and I think that that's more where Destiny needs to start thinking. Maybe not just yet with the Destiny 3, because they got to dig themselves out a little bit first. Um, but yeah, o over time, they were going to have to figure out how to make this work again, because right now it it's just it's just not there. And you've got an angry player base. You've got executives that are kind of pointing the blame fingers at long, long, long time employees. I mean, Michael Salvatore getting fired is devastating. Um, he's basically who took over from Marty O'Donnell and even at the worst of times, um, you know, no one would ever knock destiny's music basically. Um, so it, it's very odd that you're kind of just seeing this, this weird excuse, you know, minimum value product stuff being trotted out when everybody's just as frustrated as possible. Mm. That's yeah, man. Sorry, go ahead quickly. Oh, so, like, the the thing about, like, the executive thing, something that, like, there's, I have a couple thoughts, like, a, a 
Sal is my partner. He's a programmer, so he kind of has some insight like into kind of what's going on in the tech industry in terms of trends and stuff. And I think something he mentioned the other day stuck with me. He mentioned seeing a like a post on Reddit or something. I think it's been removed, but it was talking about how the current managerial and executive class in the tech industry doesn't know how to code. And not only do they not know how to code, they have no familiarization with a development process. So they don't understand, like, they don't understand how long a feature takes to implement. They don't understand how long it may take to do bug testing. Like a bug testing cycle may take a really short amount of time, but they still have all these bugs. But, you know, the only reason it took such a short amount of time and they were able to quote unquote do so many is because they did all the easy ones first, right? Right. Like just things like that. And but so they have they do not have a firm understanding of how development cycles work and how much how long it takes, how much manpower you need to really, you know, get a project out the door, but they're still being hired to manage these projects. And that is something that I think is, I mean, it's happening in pretty much every industry right now is that, you know, you're getting a bunch of people, you know, with, you know, managerial and project managing experience, but they don't know anything about the industry that they are in. They don't have any familiarity with the norms. And that's why you get, that's why you get shit like the Unity debacle earlier Mm -hmm. this year. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And why did you think that was a good idea? And, but it's also, you know, like with the tech industry specifically, the, like the thing that is so striking about the fact that, you know, you're getting a current managerial class that doesn't know how to code is that for a long time, it wasn't that way because of how like niche and specialized a lot of the tech industry was. Like if you were in there, you just basically made your way up and you knew how to code and you had a very, you had a fundamental understanding of how everything was supposed to work. And it's just, it's just not like that anymore. I'd have to see what Bungie's exec, like C-suite or their executive managerial section looks like. Because my understanding is that a lot of them actually did make their way up through the trenches. And yes. maybe it's just been so long that they've yeah. forgotten what it was like back yeah. then. Yeah. Back um, in the 90s when they were like coding up Marathon. Yeah. It, uh, it's definitely happened before with other, you know, um, yeah. studios where, you know, Blizzard, for example. I think, you know, it's funny Software. because I think five or six months ago i was like blizzard bioware bethesda and bungie are all kind of falling apart at the same time and i was man i was so right oh my god bioware oh my god dreadwolf is never going to see the light of day i'm just going to go ahead and say that Um, so make or break too for them if it does jesus like the and the other thing is that like you know i think as far as what's happening to the industry it's kind of the same thing that's you know, that's running roughshod over everything, you know, we know and love. And it's, you, oops, it's financial capitalism. Like, and I think an interesting microcosm of what is happening in the industry is the recent release of Silent Hill Ascension, which was a fucking shit show because it was marketed as this 
multi kind of media event where people where it was a choose your own they marketed it i think as like a kind of telltale game that like a whole bunch of people could get into a chat watch at the same time it'd be streamed live and they could you know vote on how the game proceeds and so like telltale what, plus democracy basically. yeah like and people went into it thinking that's what it was when what it actually is is just essentially what kappa mentioned earlier it's a silent hill digital autonomous organization where yes you can participate for free but your vote isn't going to have any weight because you need to have influence points which can only be grinded out by doing mini games like in i think like a different window or something and you don't get that many and you only have access to two of i think the six mini games and the only way to get access to the other four mini games is if you buy a fucking battle pass for yeah. 20 hours. and then like you know the other thing the chat for the first episode was unmoderated <laughs> So you got a whole bunch of people just kind of saying any old thing in there, and they eventually had to disable it because people kept typing Kojima come over and over again. <laughs> and then, oh, but even God. then, like, even though they disabled the chat, if you paid for the battle pass, you can still be in the chat. You oh, can yeah. still yeah. So they took something that was essentially useless, like, why the fuck would you buy that? And then they gave it... Up, they retroactively gave it a privilege to it and then it kind of feels like this really is a microcosm of like american democracy where billionaires can just scream whatever the hell they want on yeah. i guess it's called x now um <laughs> that's basically what this is it's like people shelling out money for the privilege of being elon musk yeah or just um, out money just for, and, and the other thing about like the telltale is like i've never played a telltale game but my understanding is that there it's almost like a visual novel in that there are choices that you make like multiple like regular points throughout the game whereas with ascension you only make a choice at the end of the show okay like, so it's like that that now shuttered <laughs> disney ride where you chose your ending by vote yeah yeah and okay. like I think something that, like, to give an idea, I guess, to, you know, younger listeners, if we have any, <laughs> um, like... Is if you're under I 18, why, don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Um, but I think a really interesting thing, just to kind of think of how far video games have come, because, I mean, all, all, all things considered, video games is still a very young industry compared to other sectors of the entertainment industry. But the thing I think of, weirdly enough, is video game advertisements in the 90s is a really good example of just how far removed financial capitalist ideas were from video games compared to now. Because you look at magazine ads for games in the 90s and early 2000s, and you get the impression that these ad agencies knew what video games were, but not why people like to play them. <laughs> they're just like, I don't know, it makes money, I guess. So they just kind of put anything out there, and they're like, hey, buy it. I don't know. Like, there was nothing about the actual game, because, like, they hadn't played the game. They didn't know what the game was about. Like I think of a, I think of the Shenmue ads on TV, like, which do y'all remember the Shenmue ads? Mm -hmm. No, I think I was a little too young for that. Uh, yeah, they they made it look like a like a kung fu movie or something. 
Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, and then it's like, he's like, isn't that right? And then whatever the name of the main character is, the, the, the female character, and then you hear another woman's voice go, like, it's like, who's whatever the girl's name is? And then you look at it, and apparently the whole narration that's been happening over the commercial is a dude thinking about Shenmue while fucking, and you're like, what? <laughs> like, that, that has nothing to do with the game, like, in any meaningful way. But that's how people... But that's how video games were treated, is they were treated as this thing that kind that is making money, but nobody knew why it was making money. It was too niche to be, like, something outside of, like, the stuff for kids. Like, it was too niche for it to really take a foothold. And now, you know... Video games have gotten to the point where it's this huge multi, you know, billion dollar industry. Like it is in the cultural zeitgeist. We are getting adaptations of it, and then you know you have all these companies like mobile game companies and stuff out here putting dark patterns in their shit and hiring psychologists that specialize in addiction, yeah, like, to help you know keep people hooked into their game, like with loot boxes and shit, like all the NBA. Uh, like whenever it's like whenever a fucking 2K game comes out, there's always some news story about a scandal about loot boxes and stuff. Like that's that's what's happening. It's just and this was the most like notable years. thing about a 2K game was frequency vibrations. Um, but yeah, other than that, uh, what I will say on this is that like, um, where is it going with this? Uh, when you've got like um, video game ads from the 90s and, and early 2000s I think what a lot of executives and, and marketing folks were seeing was data that were saying okay we've got like a proportion more you know teenage boys playing this than say teenage girls like maybe their data are showing 60 40 or what have you and they're like okay so we're really gonna zero in on teenage boys and we're gonna like mark the hell out of this to them and their you know presumably hetero sensibilities and really lean in on that and that became gaming culture yeah. um yeah. like completely neglecting that all, all the all the women who were playing games, all the girls were playing games, and you know all the people who were not straight playing games, and it's only recently that we seem to have come around to the understanding of okay, if it's split sixty forty, you're still not reaching forty percent of that audience yeah. uh, if you're marketing games in that particular way, and I think the medium kind of caught up to that before marketing did, so there's this really awkward time in especially the early 2010s where it seemed like gaming had moved on, but the marketing for those games had not. And it created this like really awkward juxtaposition. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think like Gamergate, while not like, that's not specifically where it came from. I think Gamergate like coming out of that era, like is significant, right? Cause it kind of is the last gasp of that era that they, yeah. you have this movement that latched onto something that, let's be frank, was actually completely unrelated to all these issues yeah. and then co-opted it and turned it into this um, almost rebellion against feminist analysis in video games and the acknowledgement that um, women were a significant portion of the gaming public. Uh, and 
it was in some sense the last gasp of those ideas and i i mean it still lingers in discourse and in certain discords if you will um but i'm glad that the culture as a whole seems to have to some extent moved on from that at least yeah and i mean like that's on the one hand it's kind of like you know that's that is kind of like with any kind of niche subculture or hobby that's just kind of one of the the growing pains of becoming mainstream right like that's one of the steps you kind of have to go through um and like yeah okay that's fair but then the next step is where we are now where everything now that you know now that we have everybody on board now that everybody is included we can now focus on getting all of their money so now it is now it's it is now become instead of a duty to the audience it is now all duty to these shareholders and like you mentioned kappa with sony you know purchasing bungie and overvaluing them like that's what they're focused on they're not focused on the players as much because you know even though they should be because you know the players are the ones that are going to be giving them that money (laughs) you'd think but one thing too especially with sony is if you remember their purchase of bungie really wasn't about bungie themselves it was about their knowledge of how to be the one company that's making games as a service work right yeah um and supposedly sony was going to do what was it more like 12 Yep, 12, 12 live games. service games. <laughs> yeah, and like one by one by one, they kind of fell apart. And then it ended up being like, okay, well, never mind. We might not be doing this, you know. Um, and I think now they're having third parties do it, if I'm right. Like, I think like Sega's doing one for them. Uh, <laughs> no, Hyenas fell apart, and I think Sega's Super Game is cross-platform. Um <laughs> My understanding is that the third parties, the, the leaked rumor was third parties would be working on single player stuff and it would be the internal studios working on live service stuff. But this is all like yeah. leaks and rumors and no one really knows what is going on for sure or whether Jim Ryan's departure was linked to controversies over live service. That's also one of the rumors. Then there was the departure of Connie Booth from Sony, which um, who was apparently a champion internally for... Um, Sony's single-player stuff. There's some controversy over that. No one really knows for sure what's been going on. And in particular, the reporting around the departure of Connie Booth has been really vague. Mm. So, yeah, it's really hard to know what's going on internally at Sony regarding yeah, their live service it's efforts. It's been a little, a little more tight-lipped than some of the other studios. I mean, they, they tend to be that way about everything, though, is they they're very they play they tend to play it very very close to the chest but at the same time they get surprised when you know since other aspects of the industry you know can't read their minds or know what they're going to do it's like oh well you know like with the whole thing about microsoft buying you know or well i guess they're i guess the court decided no you're not going to buy activision anymore is that right no they, they, they the sale went final on 13th Oh, they, yeah, they fully own it yeah. now. Yeah, there's like, well, we can't know, like, you know, we can't know what Sony wants, so I guess it will be okay if we buy Activision. Then Sony's like, hey, wait, no, 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 we wanted that first. And then they, yeah. you know, <laughs> then they decide to go to court over it. It's like, well, you, we can't read your mind. We don't know what you wanted because you wouldn't say anything. But I don't know. It's like, it, it, Sony's kind of, 
like just kind of to my knowledge they've just kind of always been that way and i don't know how much of that has to do with you know being you know a japanese-based company where you know they kind of are at arm's length on a lot of things i don't i'm, I'm genuinely not sure yeah i don't i don't think i don't have a good read on them either honestly you know it just seems like they they were able to write their own checks for a long time you know because their their first party stuff was just crushing and then yeah. it kind of seems like over time it's slowly started to kind of slip where okay now you know we we are we're they it feels more to me like they feel the the pinch um mm -hmm. than i would like as an outsider that i see them um yeah, I, the ps3 was a really big was kind of the first indication that of their like first party stuff not being as good just because i think of like like the one of the first the very first quote-unquote first party games that got released for the ps3 was folklore a game that almost nobody has heard of now which was i loved that game it's fantastic it's the I first time hearing of it yeah it was like a rpg it was it was the only game to make the motion control like on the on the dual shock 4 in a way that was really cool, really responsive, consistently worked and made sense, and nobody played it. Nobody played it, and it's such a shame because it is such a weird little gem of a game. Like it's based in like Welsh mythology and stuff. It is so cool. But that so I'm looking at the Wikipedia article for uh, the developer of the game, and the first sentence is. Game Republic Incorporated was an independent video game developer. Yeah. I think yeah. that kind of uh, yeah that kind of tracks. <laughs> that's that's essentially the point I was about to get to is that like they kind of took this weird turn. I mean, the PS3 era was just weird for Sony and the Japanese game industry in general, which could be its own whole episode. But they just kind of took this weird turn with their first parties, which I, I personally appreciate because we got a lot of really weird games out of it, but they weren't games that were nearly as well received as the first party games on like the regular PlayStation, the PS2, for instance. So, you know, I, I think that, I think that has something to do with it. I have to imagine. For sure. Yeah. It's, I think the PS3 era was pretty humbling for Sony and then, when they struck gold with the PS4, they kind of, for a while, thought they could continue down that route and build on it uh, without realizing that if they were going to take a left turn, like with live service, um, they're really going to have to sell it to the gaming public. And it would cost a lot of uh, upfront costs and development, which I think they're running into now, realizing that uh, you know cheap credit is no longer available. So yeah. you're building up... Um, all this live service infrastructure at the same time they're trying to maintain uh, ever ballooning costs in single player development to keep up that cinematic quality. Um, it's no longer as easy as it once was to do. Uh, yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, so that's what's going on in the industry right now. Uh, We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, uh, it'll be time for our Starfield spoiler chat. So if you haven't yet finished Starfield, uh, Shut off the episode. Yeah. Go hug your family and we don't, we do your chores. We don't talk. About and it. then <laughs> come back in like a week or two when you finish Starfield after you've given your requisite love and adoration to your family. And then you can listen to the rest of this podcast. And if you've already uh, finished Starfield, then listen to the interlude and we'll be back right after that.
welcome back to the Avocado Games Cast. I hope you enjoyed our little musical interlude, a little ditty that I composed back when I was a high school student. That's a mini recording of that whole nonsense. Uh, so, if you're still here, you're here because you have finished Starfield. For some value of the word finished, you've completed at least one playthrough, you're aware that U Game Plus exists, and we're going to spoil everything about the game. Uh, so, uh, if you haven't already played it or finished it, now's your last chance to turn around before we start telling you um, all the secrets of the game. Okay, let's get into it. We gave you your chance. All right, so... Um, I started to get into a little bit with you when we were talking about it, you know, the first time around. Um, and I, I just got to start out with, um, what do you think of the way they applied New Game Plus? Let's just start there. Uh, okay, let's get right in. Okay, let's start there, and then we'll kind of get back to our general impressions. Um, I think it's, I think it's actually really fascinating. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting implementation of New Game Plus. The idea that it's not not like Nier Automata, where they really shouldn't have called it New Game Plus. It's really just like three separate games. Um, this is very much like um, you're rolling the dice each time in a kind of sliding doors way and then proceeding through the game with things slightly tweaked. I've heard things get really wild yeah. once you go through like New Game Plus 5 or 6. Yeah. Uh, and then things go really wild. through is just kind of like, it's just kind of mad, but I know the more you do it, the weirder stuff gets. <laughs> So I I ended up at New Game Four um, when decided okay I'm gonna wait for mods from here on out. Um, um, but I I really liked the way that they bent the New Game Plus around in kind of a narrative way um, that made sense and in a smart, cool, hey this actually matters way. Um, yeah. And. I, each subsequent playthrough, it kind of built on itself, which is awesome. Um, New Game Pluses, to me, I don't enjoy them. You know, um, I just I don't see the point um, a lot of times. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, this one felt like it, it almost seems like it was designed around the New Game Plus um, in a lot of ways, which I don't know if I've ever seen that before. Yeah, it. I mean, I think certain games definitely are, where New Game Plus unlocks new modes or new ways of playing. It's the first time I can think of a Bethesda game really being designed towards uh, the idea that you are going to go through uh, multiple copies of this universe and experience it from yeah. a slightly different angle each time. And I think that's really neat in terms of what it means for the general design of the game and how that manifests itself in the actual like experience of playing through it. I, I mean, in, in some way, I, I kind of wish you weren't restarting from zero each time. Yeah. But yeah, I, I understand why they do I, I don't know. I, so I, 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 I cheated. Like, I got to New Game Plus and then, like, I, got to like you know i i run to i get my you know my my dumb 
the ships are stupid looking. I'm sorry, the Starborn ships look dumb. <laughs> like I'll just yeah, they look ridiculous. But again, my you know my they look a little Giorgio Keefy. Yeah, we'll say. Yeah, <laughs> and like you know, I get to you know the lodge, and it's just like, hello, I am from the future. Here's what you need to do, and they're like, oh okay. Like they don't even question it, and I'm like, really? But the and so I just went back to my old save pre new game plus but like the thing about you keep all of your levels but not like all of the stuff that you've found like i can understand it to a point like it's it's a brand new universe you know that there's a good chance that you know some of the planets maybe they're not the same but also there are so fucking many of them like how how would you know like i think mm -hmm. i think they should let you keep at least some of the planet stuff like yeah you if you have all of the skills and everything you know scanning planets is a lot easier but i think the because of the way that the game is structured and because of how much content there is it's like the thought of doing new game plus is a bit daunting especially with like the faction quests, like, especially the Ryujin quest in particular, I'm like, I'm gonna have to do all of that shit again? Fuck that. You know, just... Because that's the thing that usually keeps me from doing New Game Plus, is I get excited, yeah, I'm gonna play the game again, and then I remember the, the specific part of the game that I that I absolutely hate, and then I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have to do that again, never mind, I don't wanna do it. <laughs> There's a fair amount, though, that um, I will say, like, some of the more annoying quests, actually, you can mm -hmm. skip um, oh, just yeah. basically through dialogue, and be oh, like, "Oh, is yeah. it a Starborn option?" <laughs> yeah, there, there is. There's I know a. There's one, I know there's one for the UC Vanguard where you're just like, "It is fate," and they're like, "Oh shit, okay, well, all right then." And you're like, "Wait, yeah. really? That's it?" <laughs> yeah, no, there's a couple that are like that, and it, and it's like, no, actually, I'm the Starborn. I know how this works. And then like, you can just be like, "Yeah, I, I, I just know how this works. See you guys later. I'm gonna go fix this." Um, and yeah, there's, there's a couple <laughs> times where you know the knowledge and you talking to people um, is like, wow, how do you know that? That's weird. And then you're like, yeah, I'm from the future, basically. Um, and they go, okay, well, quest, quest over. <laughs> I love that people just believe you. Like, you could just be some <laughs> rando. You'd just you'd be some weirdo from nowhere. You just like, it was like, no, no, I believe you. It's like, well, okay. I do like how this game has kind of weird internal justifications for stuff like that, where like you can play, you can join opposing factions and yeah. it like yeah. nothing gets affected. Um, I love the in-universe reason for why you can join both the Crimson Fleet and and UC Vanguard and betray UC Sistef. It's because no one likes a Conde. Yeah. <laughs> like he's a sanctimonious <laughs> asshole. <laughs> like, Jesus. Well, whatever, it doesn't matter. If like you blew too, up his yeah. ship. Um, and, you know, I, I think what, what kind of ties it all together to me is that a lot of Bethesda games tell you you're important, you're important, you're important, but they don't really show you how, right? But this is like next level, you know what I mean? Importance. Um, you yeah. are, are a, you can relive the future, basically, or the past. Um, as many times as you want, and you can fix it till it gets right. It reminds me of that Tom Cruise movie. It got renamed. Um, tomorrow? I think it was like Live, Die, Repeat or something like Live, that. Yeah, Edge of Tomorrow. I yeah. think Live, Die, Repeat the name of the manga. Live, Die, Repeat ended up being the tagline of the yeah, movie. Yeah, the Live, Die, Repeat is the manga, and the actual film, I think, was called Edge of Tomorrow. 
Yeah. yeah. And so like yeah. that's kind yeah. of what I feel like every time I load up a Starborn, I'm kind of like, okay, I, I've learned. You know, I've I learned enough. I've, I've done the quest. And I think it kind of incentivizes you to not um, maybe like min-max push through super hard um, your 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 playthrough um, and instead do it kind of um, you know what what your character is comfortable with kind of um, but yeah I enjoyed it um, the ending kind of came out to me almost out of nowhere um, and I think I think that the unity idea is a cool one. It's kind of that metaphysical, whatever, you know, um, maybe doesn't make a ton of sense. Right. Um, but overall, like I, I thought it worked out well for the series. Yeah. I actually, I'm very positive on the main plot of this game. Um, yeah. like more positive than I am. I think about than I am about the game as a whole. Um, in that, there are very few games that, or very few works of art that really explore or cover scientific exploration in a way that doesn't feel like a cautionary tale. Yeah, exactly. Like everything feels like some variation on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, mm. um, where um, you know doing science has major consequences that hurt a lot of people. And it feels like a really unnuanced and frankly shallow, like I'm not insulting Frankenstein, by the way, um, but like what followed in Frankenstein's wake, let's say, has taken this really unnuanced and shallow um, view of what scientific progress and achievement looks like. And I like that this is a game that talks about the costs and the drive behind curiosity right. and how that leads to um, scientific progress, which can come at personal cost, might come at cost for others. But I, this game really emphasizes the personal cost here and the personal consequences of pursuing um, that kind of dream. Yeah, I've, 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 I, I don't know. I, I'm back and forth on it. I think, like, this is, because like, I was, I was, talking with my partner last night and something about this game and something that we both kind of steadily realized is that like the further removed from we got from starfield the less we liked it <laughs> uh i like the note that i have here is starfield is one of the worst games i've ever sunk 193 hours into <laughs> <laughs> and when i had the opposite that's interesting well so, i so it's why i want to sorry quickly let's let's you Huh? Yeah, go ahead, Quinley. Yeah, and it's why I wanted to kind of talk about it because one of the things is that like it is interesting to see it's like some of the stuff like the issues I have with the story and like the characterization and stuff can be chalked up to the fact that Bethesda is taking a risk on creating a new IP and they just kind of they've released it out into the world, which you know for any studio like Bethesda that has largely just relied on you know two or three IPs like that is a big risk for a company and I don't want or like for a studio and I don't want to minimize that so some of the shortcomings in the narrative in the story can be chalked up to like they I think they kind of released this game not still not quite knowing what they wanted it to be like wholly exactly but as far as like 
I guess, do you want me to talk about the game itself or just jump yeah. into the issues? No, let's, let's get into the game itself okay. and, and like your general thoughts on that. I, I like the gameplay. I think the gameplay is fun. Like it, it reminds me a lot of Fallout 4 in that the actual like running and gunning, the actual shooting and the actual weapons are a lot of fun to use. Uh, I think it's the I forget, it's not the mag pulse. It's the it's the mag that you get uh, in the Crimson Fleet mission. It's the Delgado's thing where it's just you're just shooting like 50 nails at a time or whatever it is, and it's also poison. This I fucking love that gun. That is my favorite gun in the fucking game. Like oh, that, I don't think I got that one. The one I use from the the Crimson Fleet quest is the Ember pistol. Which is just like this energy pistol that tears through everything. I um, weapons because I, I wanted to. I wanted to use energy weapons, but the more I went through the game, the more I realized that, huh? There's really only like three energy weapons, and unless you're willing to like craft your entire build around that, they are not that useful, and it limits. It severely limits what weapons you can pick up, just because. Yeah. There's, like, if you're able to craft your build around them and you're able to mod the shit out of them, they can be really powerful weapons, but I, I didn't have the patience for that, so I ended up just doing my Bethesda stealth, whatever the equivalent, Starfield equivalent of the Bethesda, you know, stealth archer build is, <laughs> with, like, oh, yeah. stuff. But, um, like, the actual gameplay part, like, the actual combat is a lot of fun. I love shooting... Uh, I love shooting everybody's packs, especially on low-gravity planets, and watching them just shoot into the air and then just knock them down. That's hilarious. That will never not be funny. <laughs> um, I don't think I ever ended up doing that. Oh, God. Like, go to <laughs> low-gravity moon, and, like, if you, like, you're fighting anybody outside, just shoot their pack. Just shoot their pack, because, like, it'll start making sparks. They freak out, and then they just yeah. shoot up into the air. They, like, and they like, just pawing at it until they just yeah, yeah. <laughs> or in or if you do it inside, they just shoot up into the ceiling and they're just hanging from the ceiling, which is incredibly funny. Um, I the the RPG. And I think I made a mistake playing on normal and just being able to like one shot everybody in the head. Probably should have played on hard to get that kind of stuff I, happening. I, I would argue you could actually crank it up to very hard because the higher the difficulty is, the better the the better the drops are. Yeah, I kind of agree, and it does incentivize you to explore a little bit more when you're getting really really good stuff from those drops as well. Yeah, yeah. like I've gotten some fantastic legendaries after I kicked up the difficulty, but like. Is like the I don't like the piloting. I don't like the dog fights that much. And like I, I mentioned this yeah. earlier, but uh, I have a phobia, like a pretty legitimate phobia of space and space travel. I don't like the idea of being in space. I don't like the vacuum of space. And so I did not really like like in for the first part of it, you're on the planet. So like I didn't think anything of it. And then it's like. Barrett shows up and is like, okay, take my ship. And I'm like, oh, cool, the ship. And then I get in the ship and I get behind the pilot seat and I'm like, oh, wait, that's right. I hate this. I hate this. This is terrifying and I don't like it. So it took me a very long time to get used to it. And I eventually did. But even like if I'd be walking around the ship and there was a porthole like on the floor and I'd look down at the floor and be like, oh, nope, nope, nope. There's nothing down there. <laughs> 
it doesn't go anywhere. Jesus Christ. But, um, so yeah, I didn't really like that part. As far as the, the, I, I agree about the progression. There are some, there's some stuff that is locked, that's locked behind skill trees that really shouldn't be. Like, it's really weird how the skill tree works. Like, at first I was like, oh, this seems really cool, but then, like, there are some really simple things that I feel like... like boost pack usage? I don't yeah. know why that's a skill. Boost pack usage? Like, I feel like that should have just been a tutorial thing. I feel like the oxygen... Uh, the oxygen stuff... <laughs> I feel like that should just be a level up. Like, that should just be its own stat that you get. I feel like, a, honestly, a lot of the the physical skills is stuff that, like, I feel like you could kind of get rid of the physical skill tree. I feel like that should just be tied into level ups because having to micromanage in that way is really difficult. And because there are so many skill trees, like... And so few skill points. Yeah, the, yeah. the skill points are, are few and far between yes. compared to Fallout. Yeah, and, like, that's the big thing. And there are some times, like, where you can do certain faction quests. I've learned that some faction quests will give you a skill point instead of just experience. So that might be a reason to do some of the Radiant faction quests, so you can get skill points that way. But even still, like, the higher level you get, the fewer and fewer you come across, and it just becomes it just becomes a chore to do. Yeah. And Especially with the outpost building, like, if, like, I know for my next New Game Plus, assuming I go back to it, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bother with outposts, I'm not, I'm just not, I'm just gonna build a giant cargo ship that has 4,000 cargo and keep all of my workbenches on the ship instead of trying to, trying to create an outpost, because, like, the, the transport, the supply link stuff, it just doesn't work. I don't know, maybe yeah. they fixed it. It just doesn't fucking work. The outposts were by far my most disappointing um, part of the game. I, I think they never really clicked for me. Um, and that, that's disappointing because I really enjoyed that um, a lot in, in Fallout 3 and 4. Um, but yeah, I was I was very, very disappointed by that as well. Which, which sucks because like in terms of actually building the outposts, there are some things that are a lot better. Uh, like you can do the bird's eye view to place stuff, but mm -hmm. placement of buildings, like connecting buildings, is incredibly finicky. And also, uh, you can't build stairs. Yeah, it's like there are stairs prefabbed into <laughs> tagged into the yeah. They're but they're on the inside. So like if you're so like for me like with the cargo. Thing, like I had all of these you know warehouses where I was keeping stuff and I had to keep building more and more and I didn't want to like spread it out because you know you only have so much space in the actual outpost so I ended up building up and I'm like well I'll just build stairs and then I look and I'm like I don't have any st what there's no stairs so I had Do to they build, have like, ladders no no stairs no stairs no ladders no no lifts nothing so you make makeshift stairs out of like boxes and then you like boost your way up i what i did was i built prefabs that were like i built a two-story and then i built a one-story right next to it and i used the stairs that's on the outside of the prefab but yeah like i feel like that has to be oversight like it's, it's, it's just, a mess it that the yeah. outpost is is very poorly designed i think yeah. yeah, like that's a shame. It has, it has the potential to be so 
good and interesting because there is stuff there but i think that is one of my overall issues with the game is there is so much unfulfilled potential here yeah like it, it is a yeah. good location. like the, the like like with quest the fact that that's not a faction quest that's tied to outpost management which would incentivize you building outposts sorry like, which quest so so it's it's not even a quest really it's the radiant quest uh list list is one of the it's basically an organization for independent settlers so independent of uc ind independent of freestar i think you have to first meet the guy the recruiter on mars in the bar uh on the first floor yeah. uh oh right yeah, yeah. papers in front of him I, I love him. He is my yeah. favorite NPC in the game. He is fantastic. I, I love him so much. I wish you could recruit him. But at first I was like, oh, this is the part where like I start seeking out planets because he's like, you need to seek out planets with these specifications and then you need to find people. You need to recruit people to place them so that they can settle this planet independent of Freestar and UC influence and they can live their own lives. There is some indication in some dialogue with other people that there might be something shady going on with list because the people the few settlers that are part of list that you do meet they it, the impression that i get is that they were that they've made it work now but that when they first started out it felt like they were left holding the back yeah and uh but they don't get into that and at first, I'm like, okay, so once I find them and place the planet, you're going to have me build an outpost, right? And they're like, no, you just needed to find them and place them. And I'm like, wait, really? That's it? You don't want me to, like, build them a house? I can build them a house. And they're like, no, 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 we don't have that done. <laughs> and you're just like, huh. Or, like, the Trackers Alliance, which is the bounty hunting, the bounty hunter alliance. They're yeah. Whatever. That's only Radiant Quest. They don't have a faction quest line either. And... What I ended up doing with Outpost was I just, like, I did the tutorial quest for the Outpost where they, like, mm. kind of forced you to make one. Um, I literally just set up a mine, and then so I could assign my uh, my crew members somewhere because I ran out of space on my ship. I just built a bunch of desks. So yeah. these people have, like, desks outdoors on some desolate planet. They're just sitting there in their spacesuits at the desk. Um and that's like I didn't that's really that's locked like, behind skills is how many people you can assign, how many people you can have on your ship, but you end up with really big ships that can have like seven people, but you can only carry three, which right. is annoying. Yeah. yeah, so I didn't really follow the spirit of the game. I just kind of like built the bare minimum outpost with outdoor desks. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's it's open concept. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah exposed to the elements or in the case of a plant with no atmosphere the lack thereof a bunch um, of standing desks exactly uh, no I, I gave them seats I'm not cruel yeah, they have like <laughs> come little, with chairs they, those little desks have like a built in seat it's kind of funny it's like a, a world worst office chair kind of thing yeah, yeah. the desk but not a roof over their heads you yeah. know to protect them from the elements and the giant exactly. because the oxygen is 26% on this planet so in uh, in Canada, we have a grocery chain called No Frills, um, which is one of our discount grocery chains. And I just imagine a No Frills as being a place where you go and they're like, there's no cart. There's no bags. You just like 
grab your produce and you you buy the armful and you take it to the cash register and they ring you up and you run out with your produce in your arms. And that's kind of what I imagine this version of my outpost is like. It's the no frills version of uh, of like an office. A roof would be a frill, right? Yeah. Um. So as for my like general thoughts on the game, um, before we dip back into spoilers. So one thing I've said about Starfield is that it's a nine out of ten game trapped in a six out of ten game's body, and I think that kind of describes it pretty well. Like there is so much about the general like fundamentals of this game that I think are really neat. I actually really dig the lore. I don't really agree with those people who say it's dry. I actually really dig the world that they've built. Um, but unfortunately they've kind of shoved all of that into this really janky framework that doesn't always service the game's ideas as well as I think they could be serviced. It's like this really bizarre mix of super duper polished and really well thought out stuff. Like, um, the lighting upgrades they've made to the creation engine are just like chef's kiss. The lighting in this game is fantastic. But then you'll run into like the most bizarre audio bugs and like you're playing this game with this really fantastic lighting where the lip sync between the audio and the mouth movements is all off. It's just such a bizarre feeling. Did you run into the bug where if you have a companion with you and they're shooting, like if you're in a fight, they'll start like shooting their gun and then after the fight's over, you'll still hear the sound of them shooting their gun, but they're just standing there staring at you. And like, you can tell it's coming. Like I could tell it was coming from them. Cause it, it, this happened with America. She has the shotgun and I was like, okay, woo, that fight was rough. Okay, America, are you ready to, and she's just standing there and I just hear <laughs> over and over. And then like, wait, who's America? Oh, she's one of the random companions. You can get at one of the bars on, um, Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, so, like Rosie and, and like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. I just never ran under. Okay. But like, cool. I'm like, wait, wait here a sec. And I have her wait there. And then I walk away from her and it gets quieter and quieter. And then the closer I get to her, I'm like, okay, this shotgun sound is coming from you, but you're just standing here. Like, did you ever run into that bug? No. Uh, the bug that I kept running into, which I a lot of people have, but it's not consistent across installs, is that the first line of dialogue that an NPC speaks will always be out of sync with their mouth movements and then the mouth movements and sound catch up for subsequent lines and this happens for literally every conversation unless you interrupt an NPC mid-speech. Huh, I never ran into that. My particular one yeah. was um, there was a weird, like every time a door would open um, uh, I, like the game would just like try to load the sound and you could hear the sound but the game itself was crashed um that oh, was always yeah. the most frustrating I mean, that's that's a bit that's playing the hits that's a bethesda classic though yeah. <laughs> i didn't have a single crash i think i win <laughs> I, I had a, i had a lot of crashes at first and like when i went to look at it like it honestly it turned out to just be my graphics card so i just put the bullet and bought a new very nice graphics card frankly oh, but wow. after that like because i was getting crashes the main place i got crashes was whenever i went to um aquila and like after a certain point like i had initiated sam's quest and i was at the point where you can't dismiss him and you have to go to aquila but every time i went to aquila 
it it crashed like just immediate crash to desktop but once i upgraded the graphic yeah. card i was able to i'm like okay well time to test it and i played it for 16 hours straight no crashes Aquila is actually one of the places with that really, really impressive lighting. And I'm sure it's probably what's like crashing it because it's processing a lot. Um, if you go walk along the ramparts of the city, um, and especially if you stand there at sunrise and sunset, what they do with the lighting there is just absolutely fantastic. But it's probably really taxing on the graphics card. It also is where my frame rate would get hit the most. Yes, same, same. Like even with the nicer card, like, if there are like a lot of, especially that first area where you walk through the entrance and there are like a lot of people walking around, especially during the day, like just it's a significant dip. And then like once you get further in, it's not as bad. But yeah, yeah, my frame rate would dip from like ninety to twenty five maybe, <laughs> yeah. and I'm running on an RTX forty seventy. So oh. yeah, so it's like okay, it's going to be a PowerPoint for like these next few steps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, um, one thing I will say about the structure of Starfield is that I think I went in expecting this to be a lot more um, structurally like previous Bethesda titles, like your Oblivions, your Skyrims, your Fallouts, etc. And structurally, it really isn't like that because it's not an open world game. Um, it's very much like a, like they took a traditional Western RPG and they bolted No Man's Sky onto it. Um, and, you know, I think that's a valid approach for a game, but it's also being marketed as Bethesda's next big title. So I think people went in with the expectation that it would play a lot like Skyrim and Oblivion. And when it didn't, when it wasn't structurally built the same way, um, and exploration meant a different thing in Starfield than it does in a more traditional open world game, um, like, I understand why people are kind of disappointed in that. Um, personally, I'm not, because for me, like, for me, the most meaningful exploration is, like, even discovering mm -hmm. lore and, and writing and reading about planets. Like, I think back to a game like Opus Echo of Star Song, where you never really land on many planets, but you read the descriptions of stuff um, as you sail by them in yeah. space. And that, for me, is really meaningful or really cool and i got a bit of that from starfield and that's really what i was looking for um yeah overall though i started off loving it then grew really tired of it because i ran into some pretty serious bugs that ruined my progression i had to like go back to an earlier save and mess around with stuff to keep going and the gameplay gets really repetitive after the first 20 hours and then once i got through some more faction quests and things opened up a bit and the gameplay got a little more varied again, I started liking it again. So I, I've been on kind of a roller coaster yeah. with this game. I, I think ended up positive on it in the end. I think I I was on the same roller coaster, you know, and then I, I kind of got to the to the point where like I was like, you know, I'm just gonna have to roll with what the game gives me. Um and, and I did enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I think I was I went into it with I, I saw the trailers and everything like that and all the presentations, but I went into it with no expectations just because this is a new IP. I did not go into it expecting it to be Skyrim in space or Fallout 4 or whatever, what have you, in space. Like, I just went into it, this is brand new. And I think 
because I was able to engage the game on its own terms as it was, I, I got a lot more enjoyment out of it than I would have otherwise. Um, I I do think the progression, like the skill tree is a big issue. I am, I like you say here, I'm really looking forward to mods. I think that mm -hmm. is where this game will shine. Yeah, really. I 100% agree. Because the main thing, honestly, if the points of interest, the Radiant Quest and the points of interest, if those were more varied dungeons and not literal copy-paste, I would probably still be playing it. Like, honest to God, I'd probably still be playing this game. But, like, once you go to one cryolab and then you go to another cryolab and you find the exact same recorded messages, you find the exact same computers, and everything is laid out the exact same way. Enemies are the, in the exact same spawn points. You're just like, oh, it's just going to be this over and over. Yeah, so, the I don't the know. really galling part is that the main quest took me to two cryolabs yeah. um, just by, I guess, maybe by random selection. And, like, this is the main quest, repeating the same location twice, right. which not cool yeah yeah one thing yeah. i my i would say my favorite quest in the game is probably the the dimension hopping that where you go to that science outpost and you do all the dimension hopping towards the end in the main story quest oh yeah it's like got this cool puzzle element it's very much like uh, a crack in the slab from Dishonor 2 or Effect and Cause from Titanfall 2. Yeah. It has a lot of those vibes. Yeah, and also, it just, I love that because I remember I'd see it in the loading screens. I'm like, oh, wow, that place looks like a shithole. And then you get there and like, oh, hey, it's the shithole from the loading screen. But the other thing I like about it is because, you know, back to what you were saying about that dynamic lighting and like it really shines in there because it, you know, ironically, because it is very dark for a lot of it and like, that quest to me, like especially when you're in the other world where everything's terrible and it's infested with whatever, it almost feels like a horror game. Like I played it like a horror game. I moved slowly, very cautiously, looking around corners to see what was like what was ahead of me to make sure there's nothing in the room, to make sure that like, you know, something isn't coming up behind me and gonna freak me out by jumping on me. Like I really I love, love, love that quest. It's so cool. The way I made it horror game-like for myself was I played almost the entirety of that quest until the final battle with a shotgun. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, I had this, like, really... I, I forget where I unlocked the shotgun, but it's the one that has both a ballistic and an energy component. So it uh, does, like, super damage. Is that the one you get for the UC Vanguard quest, the Xenomorph part? Uh, no, I think I got it very much later but oh. i forget exactly where i got it um might have been from the uc van bark quest actually i don't know i forget what the name of that weapon is uh, i'll have to look it up there's a lot of like those like perks that are really synergistic too like you start to pick them up and you're like you get to know like oh wow this perk works really good with this and um over time you really really kind of figure it out mm, yeah yeah so i had a good time in that quest and that was like towards the end where i i think um like a lot of the main quest content like the handcrafted stuff it's it's so cool right it's so well constructed and then like a lot of the the faction quest stuff is also really well constructed and they're like one or two side quests that are also really well constructed 
Um, but it's really hard sorting like the well-constructed side quests from the things that are just like, go here and talk to this person and then talk to that person and then talk to the first person again. Um, and I wish there were a better way of saying like, of the, the game telling you, okay, here are the good side quests and here are the bullshit side quests. Um, yeah. And then I'd know what would be worth my time. Because when you see that little cyan logo with the cross through it or whatever the shape of that logo is, you're like, I don't know whether this is going to be worth my time or not. Right. A lot of those quests are uh, like the one where you can um, essentially enslave the people above the, uh, um, the paradise resort. Um, which is a horrid, extremely unethical outcome. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know anybody who would have picked that one. That, that, that's a rough one. Which, which quest is that? Uh. So there's this, I don't know if you did this one, but there is a sh- mysterious ship that is parked above the uh, resort planet Paradiso. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The colony ship. The, the one that yeah before everybody else on earth yeah i really like that quest i wish it wasn't i wish parts of it weren't bugged because now i can't progress in it because i can't find like there there was somebody who's like hey go find the colony because there's a glitch where after the colony ship leaves the quest marker stays near paradiso even though the ship has moved somewhere else and yeah. now i can't i have no idea where it is and i can't find it so i can't progress so i'm like eh, okay i guess i'm done with that you quest can't then. deliver them their mail yeah 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 that mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um, so there are like fun side quests like that and there are also side quests that are just like stayed here for five minutes and talk to these people um Doing a few of those is fine, but there are a lot of those in Starfield, and sometimes I'm just like, ah, I don't want to do that. Um, so I wish there were a way of kind of differentiating that content a little better and like sorting out the meaty side quests from the not so meaty ones. Uh, and they, like they tried to do it a little bit by separating the radiant stuff from the the regular side quests, but I don't know if they wholly succeeded in that regard. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, those are kind of my general thoughts on the game. Um, so uh, in the last little bit of this, let's kind of get back to the story and where it goes and, and what we think it, it means for potentially the franchise going forward. Um, so like I said, I really enjoyed the story. I actually mostly enjoyed the faction quests. Um, the one I didn't I mean, I liked parts of all of them. I think Ryujin takes way too long to get started. Uh, Freestar starts off promising and it just ends way too abruptly. Um, Crimson Fleet, I don't know if I really like the plot, but I liked all the characters. Use of Vanguard, though. Fantastic, pretty much right yeah, to the end. Yeah, I yeah that one, I have seen Universal Praise, and the UC Vanguard, like the Terramorph quest, is so much fun. It's so cool. Uh, I did not like the Crimson Fleet quest that much. Uh, no, and I, I, I hated the Crimson Fleet. That's a big reason. I, everybody thank was, you. Thank you. So they are like, annoying. They're so profoundly dumb. And like, you talk to Kande and he's like, oh, that Delgado, he's a shrewd one. It's like, I have talked to him. I, Sir, I assure you, he is not. You could you could <laughs> run up on them right now and have no trouble at all. Like, his people, his own people don't listen to him. They're very, and, like... like Goonies pirates. Like, they're not very scary. He's like, they gotta get the credits. We gotta get credits. And I'm like, what are you gonna do with the credits once you have them? And then, like, 
the thing the front that frustrated me the most about that quest is that like they're especially with the friction between uh what's her name neva the his yeah. second command, yeah and and him like where she clearly does not fully respect him and talk yeah. back to him everybody kind of does i feel like there was an interesting tension to explore there but you don't get to talk to delgado like someone's like a like a true believer versus someone who wants like to go in a new direction yeah. basically and like you you don't get the impression like it's unclear what their goals even are like they just want a lot of money to it's like to do what to buy stuff from the five shops on the key like yeah it's when you go on the other quests and you meet like all of those characters like the guy on the cruise ship for example like he wants back in because he the only reason he got kicked out is because apparently he made neva look bad or something like you he at least has a goal that i can like a concrete goal that i can understand and like i understand like the smuggling uh chick like she's really cool like they're fine but the rest of the crimson fleet just they just fucking suck yeah it when she called me Rook for, like, the one million time after I've, like, done everything in the galaxy to, like, make them yeah. worthwhile, you know, I'm like, all right, just never mind. We're not going to get anywhere with this. The best comment I saw about that is, like, call me the Rook because I capture anything that's in front of me. It's like, yeah. all right. Okay, that's, that's pretty womp, good. Womp. Um, the reason I, I kind of enjoyed these, like, dumb goofballs is because I didn't take them seriously. Like, if they get a lot of money, I think these are people who are just, like, super shallow and just, like, don't see money as a means to an end. They see money as the end itself, yeah. right? So, like, I don't... Like, my headcanon is that they can't do much harm if I side with them and, like, let them get their hands on Crix's legacy. So, when my companions uh, all, like... Uh, berated me for siding with the Crimson Fleet in the end. I was like, eh, whatever. Doesn't matter. They're not going to do that yeah, much damage. Like, Who what's, cares? What's the worst they can do? I mean, they almost blew up their own space station. Yeah. You know? Like, what's the, also, I, I personally, I don't like that you don't have the option to just fuck off with the bag. <laughs> like, it's like, okay, I've got Crix's legacy. I probably know somebody, because, like, my first thought was, I'm going to take Crix's legacy, and I've done the Ryujin quest, so I know there's that hacker guy on Neon who I already have contact with. I'll just take this thing over to him, have him decrypt it, maybe give him a cut, and then I'll take the rest. And it doesn't let you do that. It doesn't yeah. let you just take it with you. And, like, I kind of understand why, but also, come on. Yeah, it, it, does, let it, let it doesn't let you be as imaginative as, as you could be. Yeah. Yeah, I will say... I wish this game had some more immersive simi elements where you could make those connections yeah. Um, yeah. and like different parts of the game played with each other a little better instead of being so siloed. Um, like if you have too many interconnections, it can end up being a little artificial and it can make the world seem way too small, but a little bit of that where you can cleverly exploit something you know about another part of the world would have gone a long way. Well, and I mean, they're already doing that with New Game Plus because you're the Starborn. You have all of those connections already because you know everything. So, like, the fact that it's not really in the base game is a little... It seems odd to me. Yeah, I think it is part of their approach to um, 
how Bethesda approaches their games where they really want the different story elements to be siloed. Because I think the fear is that if you do one thing and you cut off a whole bunch of other content, then you're going to feel shortchanged. Um, but I think games should occasionally make you feel a little shortchanged. Like, things, decisions you make should have consequences. I mean, I don't mean that if you do one faction quest, it shuts you out of everything else. But it should, like, doing one faction quest should narrow your range of possibilities in others and expand your range of possibilities in, in some other quests. Yeah, because then that gives you incentive, you know, to to go replay the game, right? Like, that was the whole, that was yeah. the replayability that I got out of, like, Skyrim and stuff is like, yeah, you can do all of it, but if you're going to go full on on the role play, it's like, okay, I'm going to save that faction quest for, for the next playthrough or for this character or for this build or whatever. And that would really play well into New Game Plus here, where you are starting with... Um, you know, give or take the skills, a clean slate every time. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's especially prevalent if you, Kappa. Uh, I don't know if you got this one, but have you gotten the new game plus where you go to the lodge and it's all just different versions of you? Yeah, yeah, it's clones. And there's of the you. one of you in the yeah. corner that's just like, yeah, I just took Barrett's ship and fucked off. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're, we're, I want to do that playthrough. Yeah, there, there's a, there. I got that one. I want to say my fourth one. It's very inconsistent. I mean, so, you know, like, you have to look. There, I think there's 10 of them that, like, that people have, like, documented so far. But I think yeah. I got that one my fourth one. It was either my third or fourth. Um, but, you know, even in New Game 1 Plus, it's very, it's very cool. Um, and you can kind of just beeline it. You can just do probably the main quest. And I don't even know. I think one of my was like maybe like three hours four hours because you just you know you don't have to do everything again you're the starborn you know the way to go through and do it all so um very cool just in general like giving you that ability to not feel like you have to redo the whole game yeah i hear there's one where like cora's an adult and she wants revenge on you for killing her dad yeah which is so bizarre crimson fleet i think is what i read yeah i think (laughs) I think you can. Is it is it true that you can only get that one, and if Sam is the one who dies in your first playthrough? I think so. Yeah, I think if you're he's the sacrifice. Yeah. Um. Then that's that's the one where, um, she blames you for sacrificing her dad. Yeah. Oh, so Sam dies <laughs> if you go to the eye instead of staying behind I, the lodge. So no, I think no, no. He, so is it Walter? No, no. Who dies? So the way that it works is that who dies depends entirely upon who you have the most, the highest relationship affinity with. Uh, And like, sometimes that like, obviously people have figured that out. So they're kind of gaming it now by just spending a lot of time with a character they don't actually give a shit about. So that when they get to that point, they can lose them and like, okay, now we can actually easy way to kill Sarah. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) So there was one, there was one post I read where somebody was romancing Sarah, and right before that quest, they had decided to get married, and they were going to do that whole thing, and they just finished her personal quest, which I heard is actually very good. Yeah, it's better than... And, yeah. yeah, and they had just finished that, so they had this beautiful moment where they were going to get married, and then they put it on hold to do that quest, and she died. <laughs> <laughs> and they were just like, oh my god, what? 
But, um, like, I think my favorite, one of my favorite and probably most heartbreaking ones that you can do is if you do the new game plus and Barrett, I think, has to survive the first one. Because Barrett is the only other MP, he's the only other companion that can get Starborn powers. Nobody else can. He can, though. But if you give him the Starborn powers in a new game plus, the first thing he does is summon a different version of himself from another universe where his husband did not die. And the conversation they have is, it is heartbreaking. Which is why but, he's so chill about everything, kind of. Like, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it kind of Less explains chill, it. it's more that he's just kind of keeping everything at an arm's length. And it's just, it is... And I wish there was more stuff like that. I wish there was more stuff like that in the game because they clearly show that they are able to do it and they mm -hmm. just they limit it to this just this one part and it's just and I mean I can see it kind of being like you know a reward for examining everything but you know Merv like you said you don't always know which quests are going to be worth the time and have you know that really deep really interesting narrative for you for the player to explore so Stuff like that is very easily missable, and it's arguably one of the best yeah. parts of the game. Yes, I stumbled upon that just through regular play. Like, I wasn't trying to get to that conversation. Um, but, yeah, in my playthrough, Barrett uh, went and got that particular clone power, and he had that conversation with uh, the version of himself where Irvin was still alive. Um, yeah, it's actually... It's really neat. It's not like super duper like um like it's not a tearjerker. It's it's but it is emotional and it's really interesting. Yeah. Um cuz like Barrett doesn't get all weepy about it, right? Yeah. He, he's he just kind of like, like is pretty like chill about it, but it is like it is a fascinating look at a life not lived. Yeah. And um what its consequences are. And so like yeah, you're right. There is a lot of that emotional depth in Starfield, like kind of peppered throughout it. And I wish, um, like the main story especially, um, could have used a little bit more of it because it is fascinating on a conceptual level. Um, and there are bits and pieces of like the emotional consequences for pursuing this, um, like the unity and, and becoming a Starborn. There are bits and pieces of the emotions people feel at having um, left Earth behind because of what happened due to Grav Drive technology, especially to go to New Homestead on, I think it's on Titan, is yeah. it? Um, yeah, the, the new rebuilt Titan, yeah. Yeah, so stuff like that is peppered throughout the game, and I wish there were more of that emotional through line, uh, because where it is, it's really cool. Uh, I just wish there were more of it. Yeah, I walked away from the whole game just kind of wishing there was more of everything, which is kind of, I think, a, a good sign, you know, for the game, honestly. Um, you know, there, there, to me, it was like, if this is more fleshed out, this has a lot more cool stuff going on. But um, it's it's hard to say exactly what that is, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm, they, to be, to be fair to Bethesda, they have said that this is a game that they're going to be periodically releasing more content for. And I think it is... I think it's going to be free from what I understand. So, you know, they have said that they're going to be releasing content for this, like throughout the next few years. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it could very well be that we do get more of that. It's just, it would have been nice to see more of that at launch. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It does really feel like a game that 
went through some compromises to get it out the door. Um, and it did get out the door in, I would say, finished state, but a state where you can see where potentially they could have done more to really tie it all together and build up that richness into something um, like something that feels a little bit more coherent, a little bit more like a, a full, well-considered title rather than bits and pieces of good stuff kind of glued together. So, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, can, can there's one of the in one of the notes here. It's what do you think it means for humanity to leave their home behind? What is, is what happened in Starfield a tragedy? I, I, I really want to talk about this because this is easily my biggest problem with Starfield's lore. As fascinating as it is, that this is something that actively bugs me. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's end on this because um, I think it is a really interesting topic. So, one of the main issues that I have with Starfield is that it does not seem to want to take its own premise seriously. And one of the things is, what do you think it means for humanity to leave their home behind? The first thing that I thought of, like, once I figured out the circumstances of, like, you know, humanity leaving, was one, like there's that moment where you're walking through the UC museum and Sarah is like, wow, you know, it says rather incredulously that, wow, it must've been a huge logistical undertaking to get all of those people off world. They never say how many people get off world. And there's things that indicate that the population of Starfield currently is actually incredibly small yeah uh like one of the yeah. things they say about like the like the what is it that you see this would they talk about the civil war they're like oh thirty thousand people die and you know obviously not to be flippant about the loss of life but i was like really that's all thirty thousand? we lost more of that than that than world war ii what <laughs> like and the thing that i really think about is like the if you are a religious person and one of the foundations of your faith is that you genuinely believe that earth is a gift from to humanity from god i cannot fathom that you would leave it that easily even under those circumstances there has i want to know more about the people who stayed and the thing like one of the first images like in thinking about that was about how in Starfield there are religions or a a couple of religions, but the game seems interested in religion, but not faith specifically. Like there aren't any churches. Nobody really talks about like Christianity except in passing. And I'm like, this is a religion that is like the religions that we have on earth lasted, you know, thousands of years. I, I highly doubt that they just kind of disappeared over the course of a couple hundred years after being in space. And like, one of the things I thought about was like, you know, Mecca. What was the last Hajj on earth like? Did they take the Kaaba? Did they leave the Kaaba there? I can't imagine that they would leave it there, right? Like I have to imagine that they would take it somewhere. And if they did, how did people pray to Mecca? Like, how did they tell, you know, how did they tell, you know, the Muslim face, like, okay, 
this is the last day that the Kaaba is going to be open to the open to the public for people who need the Hajj, and then after that, it's leaving. Everybody download, I guess, download the app to calculate where, you know, to track where the Kaaba is in space, so you know which way to pray and everything like that. But like, what does it, like, what does that do? to people like when you especially something like that like just what was the last hajj on earth like like knowing that this is not going to be here anymore and there are other a whole bunch of other questions like i know catholicism legitimately canonically has contingency plans for if aliens come to earth whether or not they would be saved they actually do and it's like no they don't they they're, they're not familiar with jesus so it doesn't apply to them that's literally the rule so like that is something that actively bothers me because it's like they just didn't seem that interested in exploring that or like the fact that there are no dogs yeah. there are no dogs dogs are extinct people had to leave their pets on yeah. earth they just like there are so many things that could be explored about people on earth having to do some consciously having to do things for the very last time and the game just does not seem interested in talking about that uh, I mean I will say you get some of that if you like explore around New Homestead and talk to people um, but it's less interested kind of in the finality of it and more in what the day-to-day was like for people and that's what um that's what the perspective that Starfield's writers took on what people want to preserve is not so much unique things or recurring things, but quotidian things, like things that are preserved data, things that people do every day. And it's like, it is an interesting statement of values on the part of the people making the game that what they think people would value would be very pedestrian things. Um, and things that hold significance or meaning uh, end up being what's forgotten. Yeah. Like, to me, that is a statement yeah. of what the writers believe, yeah. whether intentional or, or unintentional. Yeah. I do think there's some intentionality in that, that, um, like, when you come to St. New Homestead and you're confronted with what people have preserved, it's almost asking you to make this value judgment yeah. of whether you think that the day-to-day is is what's worth preserving. It's almost like it's confronting you with, wait, you didn't preserve all the special things, like all the monuments. You didn't take your family pets with you. Like, yeah. why is it, uh, why are things the way they are? Why did you choose these particular things to preserve? Um, and it really goes back to kind of the personal meaning that people derive from it. And, uh, like you see the children of the people on your homestead, they have trouble connecting with that because they don't have that personal connection to what was left behind on space. And it gets lost through the generations. Whereas if they had preserved things that had more universal meaning, maybe you would see those rituals get passed down with more ease. So I think they, there was some intentionality in, in that, but it does kind of close off answering the questions about what that finality looks like. It is, I think the game could have covered both. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so too. I, I think, well, like something else that I think about, you notice that nobody has phones. And not smartphones. Yeah. There, there, there are no phones. But people are clearly making calls, but there are no phones. 
phones. So, like, you, you mentioned the, the quotidian day-to-day. Like, right now, I'm recording this on my phone. Like, the fact that... And also, like, it's only been, like, 200-ish years. So, but the when you talk to people on New Homestead about what Old Earth was like, they talk about it like it was... They, I think even Sarah at one point even straight up says, oh, well, you know, what happened to Earth? It's ancient history now. And that's how people talk about it. But it's only been a couple hundred years. Like, that's a- That feels almost like a coping mechanism, though. Like, this is, like, the way society moved on from disaster is to pretend that it was ancient history. I mean, yeah, you know what I, mean? I guess. But, like, I also like to think that this, like, this focus on, like, the now and the future and the fact that they likely had to prioritize, quote-unquote, who was going to get off-world and who wasn't. I like to think that that is the reason that the music on Neon is so bad and boring, because, like, it's the future, but, like, it is very rote early 2010s EDM, but people talk about it like it is absolutely mind-blowing. <laughs> What's the name of that, like, the drum? uh the artist uh, who's in the club there. Borealis. What's her name? Borealis. Yeah. <laughs> who's, I think she's supposed to be a send-up of Bjork. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure what's going on there. Salted, first of all. And, like, also the name of the drug, Aurora. Like, I I hate club scenes in sci-fi games because there, a lot of times you can tell they're written by people who have never been to a club in their life and have never done a drug in their life. Like... Aurora is a stupid name for a drug because if you're high off your tits, it's going to be incredibly difficult to say. It needs more hard consonants. It needs more hard consonants in it. Also, that's nothing to say of the, the, the outfits they're wearing. Oh, yeah, like the squid head thing? I don't even know what those are. Uh, sorry, that, that was just that was an, a tangent, but that neon bugs me. I, I like that it's kind of a stupid cyberpunk pastiche. Um, well, I, I don't think the club is wholly successful, to be clear. But I like that Neon as a whole is this like very deliberate cyberpunk pastiche. Like They know it's every cyberpunk cliche thrown in a blender. And it, it seems almost self-aware of that. Uh, uh, I don't know. But the club doesn't seem to have that same self-awareness. Yeah, well, it, and I would argue that the whole of Neon doesn't really, because, like, the you know, people talk about it's a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Yeah, okay, sure, fine. But, like, it's not like there are, like, for, like, the, the, the thing I'm thinking about is, like, how, like, there's so few radiant events in cities. And I know the, the, the actual reason for that is because there's so much scripting going on that if they added more, it would it would be too much for the engine to do. But like the way people talk about Neon versus the way that it actually is, is... Yeah, like no one robs you there. Yeah, like... People probably should be robbing me. Yeah, or like the like like because I took I took the trait Neon Street Rat. So like when people talk about Neon. Like, I have the option to be like, no, I know what Neon is like, right? But I never, it, or like, you know, you talk about, yeah, you know, I came up on the streets and it was really, really hard. And, and like, yeah, you can kind of see that. Like, if you go to the very bottom floors, I, I forget exactly what that's called. But, like, yeah, it looks hard. There are people who are sleeping in shipping containers and stuff. But 
there's something about it that just doesn't seem it it seems like exaggerated the way people talk about it and it just doesn't match i, I don't know i expected it to be far worse i guess is what i'm getting at we're getting really off uh, on a tangent but i do want to ask this is it possible to pick both neon street rat and kid stuff yeah, um, so. is it yeah i think so that would be really bizarre. Like you have loving parents who are professors, but you're also a neon street rat. I don't know how they reconcile that. Locks you out of the other origins. I think only. Uh, oh, okay, that that makes a lot more sense now. Well, so so Sal, my partner, he picked kid stuff, and what you find out is that uh, the house that they're living in is brand new because they've just retired, and that you paid for it. So yeah. even if you pick neon street rat like yeah they could be from neon but you got out of neon and you just you make money and you bought them a nice house so i do like that bridge and it's yeah. very cute <laughs> like your parents it's very <laughs> funny because you run into your parents in the club at neon and they're doing aurora and they're like don't judge us <laughs> <laughs> very cute it's fantastic all right um so I think we are going to call this episode to a close. If you would like to keep up to date with the podcast, you can follow us on our website at avocadogamescast.wordpress.com. There we post each episode along with a link that tries to fact check some of what we say. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and or Spotify. All you have to do is search for Avocado Gamescast. And make sure you check out the community that spawned this podcast, The Avocado, at the-avocado.org. Uh, the character hyphen, not the word hyphen. Typing out the word hyphen is just a silly billy thing to do, so don't do that. All right. Thank you so much, Kappa and Quinley, for joining me yeah, today. Good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was fantastic. We will see you listeners next time. Take care, everyone. and.